fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Hello? <laughs> Pardon? Happy holidays, bitch. Merry Christmas Eve, bitch. Yes, ho, ho, ho. Yes, if you're listening to this, it's probably Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope it, I hope you're listening to this as soon as it comes out. You better well, be. Well, it's nice and... Yeah, I mean, you don't want to listen to a Christmas episode after Christmas, right? Absolutely not. Well, you know, some well, people Well, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't let that stop you if that's, yeah. <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> and for those of you that don't celebrate Christmas, happy non-denominational winter season. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we don't want to just, like, make this about one group of people. That's fucked up. No, I know. And that is not the holiday spirit. No, it's not. So today we're going to be talking about Black Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, wait, do you have any holiday plans? The usual. I'll be going to my grandma's and uh, waiting for Santa to come down the chimney. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> Goodies for Santa. Yeah, treats for Santa. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't wait for him to put his wood in my chimney. <laughs> <laughs> his fat white ass in my chimney. <laughs> oh my God, sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Back on track. Yeah. And also just let you know, we're both snacking during this, so if you have a phobia of like hearing people chew, my bad. Mm-hmm. What are you what eating? Oh, <laughs> hot fries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating popcorn. Mm. What are you gonna? What are your holiday plans? Ooh, you know what? I'm keeping it low key. My man is out of town for a while. Mm. He'll be missing all of the the holiday festivities this year, which is sad. Yeah. So I'll just be having a blue Christmas, just like sadly opening presents in my short red silk lingerie. Ooh. And like crying and listening to like Sabrina Claudio. Yes. Just in the bathtub eating chocolates. (laughs) <laughs> yes, wearing a diamond G string. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. probably just gonna be around working, just hang- hanging with my family probably on Christmas Day. Yeah, so just in time for Christmas, we gotta cut our intro short because we're doing three movies today. Isn't that insane? We've never done Holy that. Holy shit. What is wrong with us? Why do we think this was a good idea? But I mean, I don't think there are three better movies to do it on. I mean, we're probably not going to dedicate, you know, a whole episode to any of these movies, except for maybe the first one. Right. The first one would deserve it. Mm-hmm. It, it deserves it. Yeah. These next two, not so no, much. No, no, so no. we just decided to lump them all like a lump of coal and uh, put them in your stocking this year. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I can't wait to get my hands in your winter muff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Without further ado, why don't we just get this started, okay? Because in this first movie, Black Christmas 1974, honestly, like needs no introduction. It is the holiday horror classic other than you know, Miss Halloween, but like, <laughs> if we forget oh, about her, right? Well, you know, this ha- this is the one. 
especially for this particular time of year. And also, this might need an introduction if you live in a different country. I think in the UK, this movie is called Stranger in the House. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, I guess I stand corrected. And also, I think when it was first on TV, it was called Silent Night, Evil Night. Well, yeah, I remember they were like doing some sort of like test screenings or something with Silent Night, Evil Night, and people were like, no. And no. so like, oh, okay. They yeah. And they were worried, I guess, in 1974, during the black exploitation era of films, yeah. that it would somehow get mixed into there or something. And so they were hesitant about calling it Black Christmas. Okay. And so then they like, you know, they did test screenings as Silent Night, Evil Night, and people didn't like the title. And then once it went back to Black Christmas, it had a lot of positive reception. So, yeah. you know, I guess it, their worry was not needed. And to touch on what you were saying earlier about this being like the OG holiday slasher, um, I did want to throw this in there. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I remember we tried to do this whole episode last year. And, and so I was doing like some research and I have yeah. this special edition two disc Blu-ray of Black Christmas 1974. And yeah. it has so many special features on there. It's a little uh, overwhelming because the menu pops up and there's like a hundred wow. things on it. And so one of the things that I saw was this whole legacy type, you know, documentary style thing. And the one of the, the director, Blob, Blob, <laughs> Blob Clark, Blob Clark, Blob Clark, Blob, Blob Clark, Clark. <laughs> um, he said in one of his interviews, that after Black, this, you know, kind of like the underground success of Black Christmas, this young film student came up to him and said, are you ever going to make a sequel to Black Christmas? And he said, probably not. And he's like, well, if you could make a sequel to Black Christmas, what would you make it be about? And they were like, well, I would have had the killer g- get caught, you know, after the events of the first one. He gets thrown in an insane asylum, escapes, and stalks a group of girls on Halloween. And... That young film student turned out to be Mr. John Carpenter, who then made oh my God. 1978's Halloween about an escaped mental patient who stalks a group of girls. So, I mean, technically Halloween is the sequel to Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he said, I-, I like that idea that you just gave me, and I'm going to make a lot of money making this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the just the year that this came out, 1974, it was right there with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw, to me, is like the grandfather of the modern slasher. Yeah. And Black Christmas, to me, is like the grandmother of the modern slasher. So it's like... Oh, yeah. I think just them coming out together in 1974 set such a high standard for everything else that came afterward, including Halloween. Yeah, and maybe this is controversial, but I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like I enjoy watching Black Christmas, like, kind of like a little more than Halloween. Isn't that insane? That's how I'm becoming too. It's like, I really, really enjoy this movie. I cannot wait to talk about it. And I think that this movie is fucking scary. And it so, is! And it holds up. So why don't we just get into it? Cause, because, yeah, my jingle bells are ringing for this one. So <laughs> um, let's uh, get into it. This is 1974 Black Christmas. I'm going to kill you. Black Christmas, released in 1974. Written by Roy Moore, directed by Blob Clark. (laughs) Excuse me, Bob Clark. 
Our movie begins in the Pi Kappa Sigma sorority house, where we see a person break into the house through the attic and begins watching the sorority sisters downstairs having a Christmas party. We're introduced to some of the sisters, namely Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, Barb, played by Margot Kidder, Phil, played by Andrea Martin, and Claire, played by Lynn Griffin. Who knew that Andrea Martin was ever a young woman? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like she popped out of the womb, an old lady. (laughs) An An old lady, but this is not the woman I know. Y'all, who is this hippie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that Barbara Streisand? <laughs> I didn't know she was in this. <laughs> the young women get a phone call from someone they've dubbed the Mona. The call starts with heavy breathing and then escalates into strange ranting and obscene language. Barb talks back to the caller with her own obscene comments until the caller threatens to kill her. Upset by the call, Claire goes upstairs to pack as her father plans to pick her up the next day. The killer lunges at her from the closet, wrapping a plastic bag around her head, suffocating her to death. He carries her body to the attic, setting her in a rocking chair. He places a doll in her lap and refers to her as Agnes. The next day, Claire's father, Mr. Harrison, played by James Edmond, arrives to pick her up, but when she fails to show, he looks for her at the sorority house, meeting boozy house mother, Mrs. Mack, played by Marion Waldman, who takes a swig of brandy and cooking sherry at any chance she gets. Mrs. Mack suggests Claire may be with her boyfriend, Chris, played by Art Hindle. Mr. Harrison finds Phil and Barb, who take him to the police station to report Claire missing. The officer on duty at the desk, Sergeant Nash, played by Douglas McGrath, dismisses Mr. Harrison, telling him that she's probably with her boyfriend. Jess visits her boyfriend, Peter, played by Kier Dulea, at the recital hall where he prepares for a piano audition. She reveals that she's unexpectedly pregnant and plans to have an abortion. Peter, wanting to keep the baby, is angered by this, and they agree to discuss it later. Distracted by the news, Peter fails his audition and later destroys the piano. Back at the sorority house, Jess receives another obscene phone call. This time, the killer speaks in different voices and calls out the names Agnes and Billy. Later, Jess learns that Claire is missing and finds Chris to let him know. Chris is furious when she tells him that the police are not taking it seriously. He goes to the police station and lashes out at Sergeant Nash. Lieutenant Fuller, played by John Saxon, overhears and becomes interested in the case as he's already taken another missing person report from a distraught mother of a missing 13-year-old girl named Janice. Mr. Harrison has dinner with Phil, Barb, and Mrs. Mack at the sorority house, but Barb is extremely drunk and embarrasses herself by lashing out at everyone. Phil tells Barb to go to bed. Meanwhile, Jess and Chris come back to the house and tell the others about Janice's disappearance. A search is underway. Jess, Phil, Chris, and Mr. Harrison join the search party. Mrs. Max stays behind as she plans to visit her family for Christmas. As she packs, she hears sounds in the attic. When she goes to investigate, thinking it's her cat, Claude, she is shocked to discover Claire's body. The killer swings a large hook at her, which impales her under the chin, hanging her in the attic. Ooh, okay, there's already so much going on, obviously, because we're, you know, condensing the synopsis, as you can tell. (laughs) But right away, the thing that creeps me out the most about this movie are these obscene phone calls. They are so well done. They are so vulgar. Like, I think about, like, what was acceptable to 
you know, do in 1974 on film. And I'm like, wow, this is shocking for today's standards. Oh, yeah. And, and so, like, to hear, like, piggy cunt, like, things like this, it's like, whoa, that is extremely hot. Just it's, kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Dream Phone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and again, like we were saying, this is, you know, not just a huge inspiration on the movie Halloween, but also like when a stranger calls, scream. But it's like, it's a very popular urban legend. This like, you Definitely. know, the killers, the calls are coming from inside the house, which obviously was used very famously in When a Stranger Calls. But honestly, it actually appeared first in this movie. Yeah. And these actresses that you've introduced to us, Olivia Hussey, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, they're so good at what they do oh, that yeah. you don't even need for them to have a lot of lines because if we're already picking up on who these girls are without them even saying anything, just from their actions. Yeah, we have like Olivia Hussey. She's the raven-haired ingenue, a, a, a seemingly exchange student. Yeah, yes. from across the pond in the UK. <laughs> um, and we have Margot Kidder as Barb, who is a star. What a Gay star. icon. Yeah, I mean. She has yeah. to be. What a, a drunk bitch with, with a, a bad attitude. Yeah, exactly. With a viper tongue. There's so many things about Barb, too, that are built up. Jess and Barb are definitely like the characters of this movie. Like, they are iconic yeah. in so many ways. And for Barb, it's kind of like she's a well-written character because we find out right away that she's neglected by her mother. Like her mother's like, right. Don't come home for Christmas. I'm going out with my boyfriend, you know? And she's like, well, what the fuck? You know? So then we understand why she drinks so much and why she has a bad attitude and why she acts out. And all we needed was a couple of simple lines to give us enough backstory for us to love and care about her. Exactly. Just a little exposition is sometimes all you need. Right. Sometimes backstory can um, hinder the the storytelling, which I think we will get to in another movie. <laughs> yeah, <up>. right. <laughs> you know, one thing that kind of set me back uh, on this movie, like getting into this movie until later in life, was um, the slowdown of the story when we get to... Peter and Jess and their sort of drama sure. with her being pregnant. It does kind of slow down the movie a tad bit. But as it I does. got older, I do appreciate those moments because it did. It's very progressive to have this conversation in this movie. Oh, my gosh. For 1974. I mean, this is actually apparently something that was completely unintentional. According to Olivia Hussey and Bob Clark, the intention was never to like be some sort of politically motivated Movie, Feminist you know? movie, yeah, yeah, like it was, and and, and, and you know, it, it came out the year I think, like after Roe v. Wade was passed. But I guess honestly, they said that the reason that they wrote this was just because they needed something for Peter and Jess to talk about in between the kills. <laughs> Which I'm like, <laughs> that's hilarious. But I mean, even if that wasn't their intention, that's what they created, and what they created was something that was super progressive for the time. Yeah, you know. You would almost think that a woman wrote this movie because of yeah. the direction that it goes with her wanting an abortion because she wants to achieve her goals first. And like, you know, I, I'm like, wow, it really took me by surprise when I actually watched the movie all the way through. I was like, oh, my God, what a shining beacon of hope for women who have goals and want to go to school and do things 
especially in this time. A conversation that probably was not heard very often on film. No. You know, yeah. There weren't there weren't these these like progressive, educated, smart women who wanted to forego the family unit in order to achieve their dreams. Like that's just not something that was promoted around that time. And so I think that it was the start of something really awesome. Um, and I think that it makes this movie really stand out mm-hmm. amongst the pack because it, it, even though it isn't necessarily central to the plot of you know the murders and everything, it's just still something that was so just unseen. And yeah. I think that makes it really, really cool and makes it still exciting to this day to watch because it's like, oh my gosh, wow, yes, come on, girl, like. <laughs> Yeah. You better make your dreams come true, honey. And then we have kind of characters like Phil, who's, he, we don't get much backstory for her, but we know that she's, you know, a good friend. And um, she's a good friend. <laughs> she's, um, she looks a little more book smart, but she has a boyfriend. She's not like a total she's loser. Not a prude. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Claire, Claire's a little bit traumatized by her uh, her sorority sisters. Yeah. What has <laughs> Barb called her? A, like a certified virgin or something like that? Yeah, exactly. And Claire, loser. you know, she's getting. I know she's a loser, and she's very uptight. <laughs> <laughs> she has to take that stick out of her ass. <laughs> yeah, I do have to say that her her death scene is rather shocking. You know, as she gets this oh bag God, yeah. over her head, which is very makes us feel very claustrophobic and like we can't breathe. <laughs> you know, it's scary. Yeah. I would hate to die this way. Yeah, and we're getting like a lot of these like POV shots from the killer. Which this movie can't take credit for being the first one, um, you know, Miss Peeping Tom. Uh, she she did this first, but uh, it's a really effective tool that you know again would translate later on to something like Halloween. Um, just a technique where we are now in the killer's point of view, mm. you know, seeing them stalking these women. You're like feeling some sort of anticipation as if you're about to do it, or I don't, you know, it's it's such an interesting technique putting you in their point of view as opposed to the victim's point of view. Yes, yes, and then obviously, yes, like you said, Halloween replicated that, especially for the opening. You know, you're outside of the house, you make your way into the interior, and that is, yeah, and that's really creepy. And, And just to see how easy it was for that to happen for these women to be put in such like a dangerous circumstance so easily. I mean, it didn't take much for this, you know, person to just break into the house and get into the attic, you know, and that's a terrifying thought. Yes. And then this movie is not all drama and terror. It's also quite funny when we come to (laughs) Mrs. Mac and her boozy ways. And I have to say, Uh, I do work at a dental office during the day. And I have to say that you should not brush your teeth with, uh, brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Kesha and that's only a bottle of Jack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she provides a lot of comedy uh, because she's so... I get, you know, she she looks after these, these girls, but she can only yeah. do so much and she'll give up at a certain point and just go in her room and drink. But <laughs> she has some funny moments. Her job's not like super complicated she's just there to watch out for the girls and she still wants to have a good time of her own hello so she hides alcohol in the books she does beats for booze (laughs) yeah that's hilarious yeah i like mrs mac she's like just sort of like this caricature older woman that these young women obviously don't take very seriously they get her this like horrendous moo moo (laughs) 
for <laughs> yeah. Christmas and they force her to wear it and she's like, I'm not going to bed. And they're like, put it on, put it oh, on. Yes, you are. You old bitch. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I really like about this movie is how dark it is. Like, it's so low brightness, low contrast. Like, everything's just sort of like, well, I guess kind of high contrast because the darks are really dark. And um, especially like when we get outside and it's a lot of like, it almost looks like it's in black and white. And the only thing that tells us the movie's in color is everyone's skin tone. Yeah. And some Christmas lights. (laughs) Yeah. And some Christmas lights. Yeah. It looks, um, it's almost like has a gothic feel to it. And it feels very cold. It feels very, it does feel very cold, but also, but we, once we get into these like indoor environments, it all of a sudden feels warmer to me. Mm -hmm. Like the outside feels really cold, but it feels like that's outside and inside is where they should feel safe in the sort of warm environment. There's a lot of red, oranges, red lights. Yeah. Yeah, It seems like the safe place in a world really dark on the outside. And, um, so to have that safe space like infiltrated by something from the darkness like from outside makes it very um it's like unsettling and it's scary because now these girls are their home is now the battlefield infiltrated yeah we meet peter jess's boyfriend and we kind of right away give him a reason to want to target these women which they're already being targeted by the mona but (laughs) yeah this is when they start to introduce this idea that it the killer could possibly be Peter when, you know, he's disturbed by what Jess is telling him about her being pregnant, but maybe not wanting to keep it. And then he fails his piano audition, which was horrific. I, was it intentionally that bad? It sounded hor- horrible. I, d- I was like, I had no idea that I could just go bang on a piano <laughs> and receive some sort of degree from a conservatory. I was like, oh my God, this, it sounds like he scored this film and this film sounds like they took a fork and scraped it on a piano, like some piano wire. (laughs) When he fails his audition, he destroys the piano. And so that's kind of like the first big thing that we're like, oh, he's, he's a, a man that maybe we should fear because he has anger. And so he sort of becomes our red herring and it increases as the movie goes on. But this is the first moment, which I don't know that I necessarily need Peter to be a red herring, but I guess it kind of works to make it a little complicated in the end. I think it's interesting because I don't really find this movie to be too much of a whodunit. No, no. You know what I'm saying? I don't, it's not like we have a cast of characters, like one of them could be the killer. I, to have Peter as a red herring seems more like for them as opposed to us, the audience. I feel like we know that it's like, obviously somebody else I, you know Peter seems to be preoccupied with his recital to be breaking in and hanging out in the attic all day you know yeah yeah and so I I think I feel like it's more for them that he's a red herring because they obviously don't know that somebody has broken into their house and so that is like an interesting way it's like we haven't gotten fully to like the whodunit kind of slasher yet like a scream or you know mm-hmm. these movies yeah we're like it's like just tipping its toe in it where it's like we know as the audience what who it is 
that it's not Peter, but they don't know yet. They're trying to figure it out. That makes sense. Something else that Halloween borrowed from this movie was limiting the motives of the killer, which I, yeah. you know, I love that because it makes the person scarier. Like this could be anybody. It didn't have to be this house or this group of girls or that one girl. It could be, right. it could have been anybody walking down the street that day. And so yeah. I do like that. And I think that in Halloween, we know that Michael used to be a little boy. He used to maybe be somewhat normal. And then he, something happened and he switched and became a cold blooded right. uh, killer. But in this one, we get little glimpses of who this man is. We don't even know if his name is really Billy, but yeah. we refer to this killer as Billy. But he just refers to himself as that. But he obviously refers to people as a lot of things that aren't their identity. Yeah, it, it, it could be, and he could be anybody. He's just like the every murderer, you know. <laughs> like this could be the man with the family down the street. Yeah, that and that makes it very scary cuz we literally don't get any solid information on who Billy is. Mm-hmm. Again, if that's even his actual name. You know, we, do, we don't ever actually even see him. No, we once. just see glimpses of his eye, a hand, and the silhouette of his hair. Whatever this killer went through, was very traumatic because when he starts speaking in different voices on the second phone call he makes, whoa, um, it's like a woman's voice and he, there's all this ruckus going on. It sounds like a family argument happening, but he's doing all the voices. I think that moment is terrifying. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, because you're dealing with somebody who obviously is unhinged, can, is unhinged and cannot control themselves. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's scary. And then we meet Daddy John Saxon playing Lieutenant oh. Fuller. He's so oh hot. He's even hot in this. He was hot even like the day he died. Like he seriously. Well, you know I love those geriatric um, fellers. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like uh, like just a little more manly version of Zac Efron to me. Yeah, like the new Zac Efron with his new chin. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> With the crimson chin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's so hot. Playing the same character from Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, so the, I love that this also is kind of thrilling because we see him take a police report from a very distraught woman who daughter her daughter has gone missing. And she's in a whole different age bracket. She doesn't go to the... She's not part of the sorority. She's in a different... Yeah. And I think that this is... Again, something scary. But I think the storyline of Janice sort of roots this movie in like a very real place. Because yeah. it's a very, because it's almost like a s- sort of CSI drama at this point with Janice's oh storyline. Like, you know, it's like almost like a whole different story within this yeah. movie that's written completely differently. Do you think that? Janice is connected to this Billy killer. I I always kind of struggle with like figuring out like, are they related? Is this just like really horrible coincidence? It's hard to tell because he got into the house the night before. And I think we're sort of imagining that he stayed there. Whereas Janice went missing the next day, I'm assuming. Or did she go missing the day that he broke into the sorority house? I bet he... I I don't know. He must have... I think he must have killed Janice. I don't know if he killed Janice or not. I guess it doesn't really matter. It just it happened. It just happens to be this thing that's happening around them, which already but, causes like kind of chaos with it amongst these people. I think also a message that this movie kind of carries is the threat that men can impose on women, which yeah. uh, plays out through, I think, 
all three movies, mostly this one and the 2019 version. There's also this discussion where Barb talks about, or somebody, Claire mentions that there was a woman in town who was raped. Um, oh yeah, like the like the previous week. Was that Billy also, or or is that just that's probably totally unrelated? Yeah, are, yeah like are we like are we all just pinning all of this on the one killer or what? Like it's like what are these I ideas that they're proposing and why are they proposing them? I wonder if it's just like referencing the fact that you know we we are here in this in this situation, you know, trying to get an education, whatever. But the threat against women is still very real. Women are getting raped in the town. Um, you know, little Miss Janice, she got hers. Like, it, it's still it's still not the safest environment for women because it's so male-dominated still, you know? It is very specific to its time frame as well, being set in 1974. Again, in line with why Jess is so adamant about achieving her dreams. I mean, she's already yeah. come all the way from the UK, get into this college just to drop out and have a baby for you for what like for what like i got things i want to do with my life so claire is missing janice is missing and the search party is underway which include mr harrison claire's dad jess phil and chris who i couldn't figure out if he was hot or not he kind of reminded me of ct from the challenges (laughs) (laughs) oh my god wow throwback he was ct was always kind of hot to me his body was like insane Oh my oh god, my god, insane. That long torso was to uh, die for. You just want to lick it from like the throat down to the I know. It'll take me yeah. an hour to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but Chris, played by Art Hindle, I have to say the one thing that stands out to me about him is his hair, for one. And that big glamorous fur coat. I mean oh my god. the glamour. Apparently that was his own. And apparently a lot of them had to <laughs> had to uh, costume themselves for this movie because the budget was low. <laughs> so sure. they're like, can you just bring your own clothes? And they're like, uh, okay. So Miss, Mr. Art Hindle, he said, I'm wearing this fabulous fucking fur coat. <laughs> and apparently he still has it. I'm not convinced that Mrs. Mac's death is... Logistically um, possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, I get why the hook is there. I guess that sort of like contraption is designed to pull things up into the attic. So it yeah. makes sense that the hook is there. I just don't know that you'd be able to just swing it at somebody and it would just hook them in the chin. <laughs> hook them in the chin and she'd still be able to scream and then pull her up and then she'd be like kind of quietly dead hanging. Yeah. Especially like Mrs. Mac is probably a, a little heavy. So she probably would have just torn tore through that hook I, I don't know I don't know if it would work or not but it, this one seems a little less um, I guess scary because it just doesn't seem as realistic as right. something like Claire's which I think is yeah. a little scarier yeah but I yeah. mean we've we've accepted much more ridiculous murders in horror movies so. that's true that's true <laughs> and this being in 1974 along with Texas Chainsaw th- I think they both introduced this idea that these killers can use their surroundings to kill these people beyond yeah. just like a knife, like in Psycho or Resourceful. something like that. Each person, each character has their moment uh, where they get these, you know, unique deaths that are specific to that moment in the film. So yeah. I do appreciate that aspect of it. You know. I will say that this movie also hadn't fallen into like a lot of the tropes that holiday movie, holiday horror does where it's like, 
how do we make these death scenes as holiday as possible? I don't think <laughs> I don't think we had like conceptualized that yet because it's not no. you know yeah when you it's look very like later at, like in the next two movies but this right one, ex- yeah. it is this uh-huh. one yeah we haven't fallen into that yet so it's like a hook a bag it's not anything like <laughs> a, a candy cane and a, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and christmas lights and shit like yeah that, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, not yet not yet that brings us to the next second half of this movie let's finish this one off all right the search party is horrified to find Janice's body in a nearby park. Jess returns to the house where she receives another frightening phone call from the killer, who again uses multiple voices. This time, Jess calls the police to report the obscene calls. As she talks to Sergeant Nash, Peter pops up behind her, startling her. He says he's been napping in the house, waiting for her. Sure. Peter suggests he quit the music conservatory so he can marry Jess and raise their child. She refuses, saying she does not want to get married or have a kid yet, as she would like to achieve her goals first. Peter becomes hurt and angry, and as he leaves the house, Phil arrives with Lieutenant Fuller and a phone company rep named Graham. Graham puts a tap on the house phone. Fuller tells Jess that he'll be listening in on all of her phone calls from the station, and Graham tells her to keep the caller on the line for as long as possible so that he can trace the call. Fuller has also left an officer and a squad car outside to watch the house. When Fuller and Graham leave, Phil goes to bed as Jess waits for another phone call. She gets distracted by a group of Christmas carolers at the front door. The singing of the carolers masks the sounds of the killer murdering Barb. He stabs her to death using a glass unicorn ornament. Okay, so this is... That's a little festive. That's a little little something. It looks a little icy. Not yet. Unicorn's not necessarily Christmas, but, you know, okay, the icicle... Icicles and, like, uh, the carolers, you know, singing over it in a very scary, yeah. Horrific way. (laughs) In a very horrific manner. They look like the lost souls of children that died on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. the fucking choir of the damned has shown up at my <laughs> front door. We are the kids from Christmas past. <laughs> we have come to eat your Christmas spirit. <laughs> when the carolers leave, Jess hears the phone ringing. It's the killer. He wails at her in a strange voice, repeating some of what Peter said in his argument. Peter then calls, begging Jess not to abort her pregnancy. Neither conversation lasts long enough to trace, but Fuller calls Jess to question her about Peter, suspecting he could be the mystery caller. Phil goes into Barb's room to check on her, but when she enters, she notices something behind the door, which suddenly slams shut. Jess tries to find Phil, but the phone rings. It's the killer again. This time, Jess keeps him on the phone long enough for Graham to trace the calls. They're coming from inside the house! Oh my god. Run, bitch. Fuller tries to radio the policeman parked outside the sorority house, but his throat has been slit by the killer. So he radios Nash and tells him to call Jess and warn her to get out of the house. Nash reveals to Jess that the killer is in the house and she needs to leave. Jess is terrified and screams out for Phil and Barb, but the house is silent. Jess arms herself with a fire poker and goes upstairs. When she enters Barb's room, she finds Phil and Barb dead and cross-eyed. <laughs> and posed like they're on the fucking Vogue catalog. <laughs> yeah, like board models. Like, <laughs> hanging out. 
From behind the door, Jess sees the killer watching her, his eye peering through the crack of the door. The killer calls her Agnes and announces himself as Billy. Jess slams the door on him and runs. The killer chases after him. I know. This I'm like, sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Agnes. <laughs> That's oh, not me. Yeah. That's not me. No, 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 no. no. I, the, I am not fucking Agnes, especially the way we see her looking in 2006. <laughs> Don't ever confuse me for that bitch. <laughs> Jess slams the door on him and runs. The killer chases after her. With no time to unlock the front door, Jess heads for the basement. The killer grabs her by her hair as she passes the stairs, but Jess is able to free herself and run into the basement, locking the door behind her. The killer maniacally pounds on the door, and when he stops, she sees the shadow of someone prowling around the house through the basement window. It is Peter, who calls out to Jess and breaks a window to enter the cellar. Outside, Fuller arrives with other cops. They hear Jess screaming from inside the house. By the time they find her, they see Jess and Peter lying together. She has killed Peter with the fire poker. Later, Fuller hypothesizes that Peter was the killer. When investigators leave the house, Jess is left alone, sleeping with a guard in front of the silent house. We see the bodies of Claire and Mrs. Mack are still unnoticed in the attic. We hear the killer mumbling to himself. As the camera pans out from the attic, the phone begins to ring. The end. Dun, uh, dun, dun. I think that when they find Janice's body, this is, we never see the body. We don't even know what no. Janice looks like. It's Janice from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> the way this is directed and acted is great. It tells me yep. just enough. It makes me imagine what condition her body was in. Yeah, it was probably not a pretty sight. It has to be mutilated, and at this point, frozen. In my mind, she's like, her head is on top of a snowman. Just her head. (laughs) Like, you know. I sort of picture her ripped open like the Black Dahlia, but like, now it's been so freezing that she's almost looks like kind of beautiful, like frosted eyelashes. Oh my god. You know. Like an an America's Next Top Model death photo (laughs) shoot. Yes. Or when um, that one girl got hypothermia in the pool. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Gorgeous. Stunning. Her blue lips. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is when Jess has her big monologue, too, about, I have goals, Peter. You do remember when I met you and I told you I had all these goals? Well, I still want them to fucking happen. I'm not having this kid and I'm definitely not marrying you. And she's like, I don't even know why I told you. She's like, I was never going to ask you. I was telling you this is what's happening. I was just being like courteous. And he gets all fucking huffy. He's like, how dare you? He's like, you treat it like you're getting a wart removed. Yeah. Like, Ew. It's like, again, this movie should be appreciated just for bringing up this conversation. It's it's a really cool moment for her character. Yeah. And she, she gets to be a strong, strong woman. Um, not only against the killer, but, you know, in her, in her personal, personal life. life. Yeah. She's going to be, you know. when she wakes up, if she wakes up, um, she'll yeah. totally be strong enough to just move forward and go on with her life. That's right. <laughs> Unless she dies. Yeah, she probably dies. She probably died, yeah. Uh, the Christmas carolers coming in. We talked about how frightening they were. But them singing <laughs> over the death of Barb, I think, is a really cool yeah. moment. Also, I'll, because I think Barb's death is the coolest in this it's movie. It's the coolest. I know, and it's like, uh, I loved the character of Barb. Like, I know we haven't really given her too much due yet, but I mean, like, she is, uh, uh, like, how, how she stands up to this phone caller, um, how ridiculous she is feeding children booze, how she uh, she fucks with Sergeant Nash. She, like, does this whole fellatio prank on him. 
Like, yeah. Barb, she's she's here for she's not here for a long time, but she's here for a good time. That's for she's sure. right. Exactly. She definitely lived her life to the fullest. These final moments before her death. Yeah. And oh my gosh. And then she gets like really drunk and she has this like kind of absurd monologue about these like turtles having sex and zebras having sex. But I don't know. I, 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 this whole moment is just like very well acted. I think Margot Kidder kills this, especially when it, when it turns into like her being upset that everybody's, she feels like everybody's blaming her for driving Claire away. And that mm. it's her fault that Claire's now missing. And, you know, she... I think she is aware that she gets vilified more than maybe she deserves. Because she do, she knows she probably has a bad attitude. Yeah, but, or I mean, in a, in a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure these girls do this to her a lot. Where they're like, Barb, it's probably Barb. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like a Barb thing to do. Yeah, but she's kind of... She has feelings and emotions. And she's like, I know you all fucking think it's me. And then so they put her to bed. She also has <laughs> asthma. I mean, that's how human of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only she glamour. I, I love this costume that she's wearing, too. The black sort of oh, yeah. short, just swinging little thing. Oh, my God. With the yeah, choker. It's, it's, oh, my God. 70s glamour. I love it. I, I actually really enjoy their costumes. Yeah. I love the fact that Kira Dulia accepted the role in this film because it was being uh, filmed close to his parents' house, and he's like, I wanted to visit them for the holiday. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, literally. I was like, this whole movie just seems like so low-key. Olivia Hussey apparently was like, honestly, she's like, everybody was in good spirits in between takes. It wasn't like some depressing, scary set. She's like, we all had a really good time. Except for she did say that that Margot Kidder was a bit standoffish. Sure. Why not? She's a star. She's yeah. like, bitch, I'm about to be Lois Lane. So fuck off. Yeah, she's like, I just want to get this over with. <laughs> yeah, so I can go to a, a real horror movie like Amityville. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing with Phil and Barb dying and her finding the bodies, I think that this is also a very creepy moment where we see his eye peering through the door. It gives me chills every time. Yeah, whoa. I'm always so con- like curious about what I'm supposed to be looking at in this scene. I'm like, does this person have two irises? Why is... Half, like there's like a, a red eyeball but also like another I know I've always been confused by that I'm like is that a trick of the light or yeah, is that like is an that? intentional thing to make his eye look scary I don't, I don't know, know but it's really freaky and I'm like is this killer inhuman are they like in some sort of Christmas demon like I'm, I don't <laughs> Can you know imagine? it's just a little yeah. s- one of Krampus's elves just causing <laughs> havoc in the sorority house yeah. Yeah. I know but you know Jess said you're not going to get me. She slams that door on him and she runs for her motherfucking life. Ooh, and when he grabs her hair when she's passing ooh, the stairs. Ooh, it's so good. It chills. It gives me chills every time. I think this is a great little chase moment. Yeah. And that's the thing about this movie. This movie may be old, okay, by, you know, horror movie standards, right? But it still yeah. holds up. It's fucking scary. It does. I think the only thing that dates it are its filming techniques. But the storyline, sure. the way it plays out, the phone calls, the imagery, I yeah. think really hold up well. And it holds I'm up. intrigued every time I watch this movie. I showed my friend this movie last year. And I was like, you know, I was like, you know, it's an older movie. It's not going to be very scary. But then as we were watching it, I was like... This is actually kind of scary. Like, yeah, I think I undersold how scary this movie is. I do think that this ending gets a little muddy. Yeah, I think it's a little too long. Okay, yeah, that might be it. Like, it it does. It's like the chase, and then she gets into the basement, and then 
she sees Peter outside and it just gets sort of like there's not like the the greatest resolution ever uh, you know it gets really exciting to a point and you know she's running he grabs her hair she runs into the basement where he's like pounding and screaming and that part is so unsettling when he's yeah. like pounding on the door and she's like standing there and like she's sort of trapped and then Peter comes in and sort of throws a wrench in the situation. And then it sort of just ends, kind of. Then we hear Jess scream and we see him dead and she's passed out. I'm like, why is she, why, I'm like, why is she passed out? I was like, that's such like an old timey thing. Oh, yeah. God. I'm faint. <laughs> I can't I can't take this. Uh. I can't take it. And then even like the ending, like they're like, well, we think Peter did it. And we know that Peter didn't do it. It's sort of frustrating for us that we don't get this resolution. But yeah, it makes it scary, you know, that to yeah. think that this killer is still out there in this universe, possibly still killing people. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a nice little open ended moment where which I don't understand how this would be OK. Like she's like passed out, I guess. But they just like tuck her into bed in this house where all these people it's a crime scene now it's a crime scene they found barb they found <laughs> bill they're dead bill, in there they didn't they're dead. find mrs mac or claire yet but like which is incompetence you would do a full sweep of the house yeah they incompetently leave her in the house with a guard or whatever but we have seen many movies and we know how well that works they've even proven that peter was the killer they're just like going off of a whim and then yeah. leave her there to probably die because ring, ring, who comes yeah. back? And when Bob Clark has talked about possible sequels, he doesn't mention any of the existing characters. So I'm assuming that she died or she was able to move on with her life. But I think she's dead. Yeah. Even with the, the ending feeling a little muddy, um, I still think the whole thing in general just works really well still. Probably yeah. one of my favorite holiday films. One of my favorite yes. slashers. Um, I just love it. What are your final thoughts on this movie? Final thoughts? I think that this is an effective, progressive, um, awesome holiday slasher classic. I'm a sucker for holiday horror. And this has to be one of my absolute favorites. I did come into it later in life. Mm-hmm. Maybe two years ago, I saw it for the first time. But since then, I watched a lot. Even... Even now, like, I watched it once, you know, obviously for this episode, but then, like, today I had some extra time and I put it on again just because I I enjoy it. I think it's really good. And and so, for me, this is five golden rings. Ooh, five golden <laughs> rings. Yes, I love that. Um, I agree. I think it's unnerving, unsettling. It's well-written, it's well-directed, it's well-acted, and it um, it needs more credit for being a pioneer of the slasher genre. The killer is scary, the characters are strong. I, too, would give this five golden rings. Yes! Okay, I do have a question for you. I thought this would be fun. So, every week we do Soundtrack Sunday on our Instagram. Um, and so uh, I'm just curious about what, what two songs you picked for this film and why you picked them. Like what, what inspired you? Yes, I chose Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney just because mm-hmm. I can almost hear this song playing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I think ever since that meme came out that like Wonderful Christmas Time could possibly oh, be yeah. about witchcraft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I kind of was like, I like this for this song. Um, my second song that I picked for this was Call Me by Blondie. And I think that oh, yeah. was... Pretty self-explanatory. You know, self-explanatory. <laughs> what about you? Um, I picked, oh, Carol of the Bells um, by the Barlow Girls. 
I don't know much about them, but they're like sort of. These kind of sound like some sort of like Celticy kind of women Ooh, yes. who sing this version of Carol of the Bells. So I thought that was interesting that it was like a female version of Carol of, of the Bells. And Carol of the Bells just always has that sort of haunting quality to it. My aunt the other day was telling me that she hates it that is. song when she hears it in a grocery store. She feels like she has to like finish quickly. Like she has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I thought that song was pretty menacing and set the right it tone is. for this film. And then I picked, uh, oh, the song Don't Fucking Tell Me What To Do by Robin. I yeah. equated it to like Jess's story. She's like, look, mm. like I'm not going to have this baby. Don't fucking tell me what to do. And so I thought that was good. And then, oh, you know, it has like some lyrics like my drinking is killing me. My whatever's killing me. I thought that was good. Kind of little bar oh, yeah. action in there. So that's it ties why it all that. in. Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of Carol of the Bells, I actually think that was used heavily in this next movie. Yes. <laughs> right? Which is Black Christmas 2006, oh. which obviously might have been our introduction into the Black Christmas universe. It, it honestly was. To be honest, I yeah, I, I'd seen this movie a trillion times. I watched it in theaters. I owned the original DVD. Yeah. Yes, I did too. I specifically remember seeing Black Christmas in theaters. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I, I remember that day. I remember what I did afterwards. Oh, see, I don't remember all of that. But I do definitely remember watching it and um, thinking it was cool. Yeah, uh, loved it. Loved, loved it. it. Loved it. <laughs> I still kind of do. We're, we'll get into it more, but... <laughs> All right, yeah, let's just get into it, because this one takes this story and... Ruins it. Yeah, (laughs) to put it it lightly. All right, um, why don't we start off with Black Christmas 2006. Yes. He's my family now. Black Christmas, released in 2006, written and directed by Glenn Morgan. Our movie begins in the Alpha Kappa Gamma sorority house. We see sorority sister Claire preparing a Christmas gift for her half-sister. Suddenly, someone appears out of nowhere and wraps a bag around her head. As she struggles with the killer, they stab a pen into her eye. Get used to that. At a mental institution not far away, Billy Lenz, played by Robert Mann, is locked away in his cell, which is decorated with Christmas lights. A security guard is stationed outside of his room, where Billy tries to escape every year on Christmas. Billy Billy tricks tricks the security security guard when he slips him a note reading, I'll be home for Christmas. When the guard rushes into Billy's cell, it is empty and there's a hole in the wall. However, Billy appears from under the bed and stabs him in the neck with a sharpened candy cane. Billy leaves the cell and kills another man dressed as Santa, sealing his costume to escape. Back at the sorority house, Kelly, played by Katie Cassidy, is outside telling her boyfriend Kyle, played by Oliver Hudson, that she's going to spend Christmas with her sorority sisters. As she makes her way inside the house, we see her fellow sorority sister Megan calling Kyle on his cell phone. Megan's in her room upset as she watches a homemade sex tape of her and Kyle. Okay, what is it with these sorority girls named Megan having sex tapes in these movies? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, seriously, like sorority uh, row. Uh, yeah, I know it's a very early two thousands thing. I think with that just being <laughs> the new scandal and the headlines all the time. Literally, they are yeah. like, we have to use this in every movie where there's a group of girls in college. Yeah, and we have to name her Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, downstairs, Kelly greets her other sorority sisters, including Melissa, played by Michelle Trachtenberg. 
Heather, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Dana, played by Lacey Chabert, Lauren, played by Crystal Lowe, and loving housemother Miss Mac, played by Andrea Martin. Welcome back, Andrea. Welcome back, bitch. This is the Andrea Martin I know and love. (laughs) They have a secret Santa gift exchange, and every year it is tradition for someone to leave Billy a gift. According to Miss Mac, Billy used to live in their house and killed his family there. Billy was born with a liver disorder that made his skin yellow. His father loved him, but his mother was disappointed and wanted nothing to do with him. As Billy got older, his mother became an alcoholic and abused him. One Christmas, his mother's boyfriend came to the house and killed his father as he watched in horror. His mother and her boyfriend discovered him watching and she chased him into the attic, locking him inside. Heather is upset by the story and the morbid tradition. She starts to go upstairs, but runs into sorority outcast Eve, who is heading out to visit her family. Megan hears noises in the attic, and when she goes to investigate, she finds Claire's body. The killer appears and smashes a snow globe into her head. The killer manages to get a bag over her head and rips out one of her eyes with their bare hands. The home phone rings. Melissa answers it on speaker. The caller makes weird noises. Lauren teases him, and the caller threatens to kill Lauren before hanging up. Melissa checks the caller ID and is surprised to find it's coming from Megan's cell. They assure themselves it's just a joke. Kelly goes back upstairs to check on the girls and finds Kyle coming out of Megan's room, saying he wanted to surprise Kelly. She screams, prompting the other girls to confront Kyle. Kyle tells more about Billy's past as he grew up in town. He says Billy was kept in the attic for many years. His mother and stepfather lived happily without him. His mother became sexually frustrated with her husband's inability to maintain an erection. On Christmas, when Billy was 12, she crept into the attic and had sex with her own son. Disgusting. What the actual fuck? Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby girl named Agnes. She loved Agnes and Billy became jealous. One Christmas, Billy came out of the attic and attacked Agnes, pulling out one of her eyes. He stabbed his father in the face and beat his mom to death with a dough roller. When the police arrived on the scene, they found him eating a Christmas cookie. Sorry, I can't even say this. (laughs) When the police arrived on the scene, they found him eating a Christmas cookie made from his mother's flesh. Agnes was put into an orphanage and no one knows where she is today. Close up on Eve. Yeah, this wow. is crazy. Okay. <laughs> One thing that we just need to get out of the way right now is uh, I think where th- this movie par- partly fails is it's convoluted ass ideas. There are so many ideas in this movie. Like, why are you adding so much to a story yeah. that started out so simple? So simple. <laughs> like, obviously, like, the one of the best things about the original Black Christmas was, you know, the sort of mystery around it all. Like, there wasn't a lot told. So I, I get it. Like, they're like, okay, how do we update this? What do we do? Like, obviously, we have to give the story of Billy and Agnes and these these people that were referred to in the original. So let's expand on their story. But it's like, this story is insane. And it does start off somewhat familiar. They get rid of a lot of the style of the original and they've camped it up. They've glammed it up. 
everyone's beautiful the lights yeah. are amazing and immaculate and <laughs> well we start off with claire the character claire dying yeah. with a bag over her head but it's 2006 so we need to up the ante so what do we do let's stab her in the eye let's pull these people's eyes out let's make it worse yeah seriously i mean and that's it's so just that 2000s horror down like they're mm-hmm. they're just hitting all the boxes of for some reason why what we were watching back then like why did we like it was like it's like obviously all gore over substance like the more gore the better like how do we make this yes. so fucking disgusting that people are just gonna go crazy for it and it's like okay so you forget about all of the 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 technique the subtlety the i don't know anything you do to actually make it scary and they just make it gross and then they add that fucking white trashiness to it every movie is like disgusting white trash people <laughs> like yes that hillbilly horror was rampant, rampant in the early 2000s and i do imagine that if Rob Zombie ever got his hands on the rights to Black Christmas, it would be oh something God. similar to this movie. But yeah. it might, his version might have been better. <laughs> yeah, because what the hell is this? This is insane. So then we meet these characters, right? We have our, our core group of girls. So starting with, you know, the blonde, we have Miss Katie Cassidy as Kelly, a character so bland, one one dimensional, not fleshed out at all. She's like the every girl, just unseasoned chicken is what she she's is. She's like wholesome girl next door. With a dickhead boyfriend who's cheating on her. And like, that's her story. That's it. It's such a decline in the storytelling of the original. Like, we had these really strong characters that it were so probably monumental in horror really having these moments of yeah. feminism present in yeah. their films. And they've taken that and they're like, well, now girls are dumb. <laughs> yeah, girls are dumb. They get cheated on. They're they're vapid. They're they're in stupid. sex tapes. Yeah. yeah, like I was like, oh my god! Like literally, this couldn't have been so much more opposite than like even the unintentional message of the first one. Like they yeah. just they just like decimate it. They didn't even try to make no. it intentional or unintentional. Yeah, exactly. So then we so we have her and then we meet the rest of the girls, right? Which is literally a gaggle of brunettes. Their characters could have been one person. Literally. Dana seems to be some sort of spoiled daddy's girl. But so is Heather, but she's country. Yeah. Yeah, but she has an accent all of a sudden. They've almost taken Barb from the original and splintered her different pieces of her into five different Every girls. character. And it's like do yeah. it was if it was one girl and it'd be different but it, the fact that it's like all these girls are like unlikable it's like Melissa is a bitchy girl Heather is a bitchy girl that's also snobbish because yeah. her dad's a NASCAR driver and she's country Dana yeah. is also a bitchy girl who's just a spoiled brat Lauren is also a bitchy girl who also happens to drink <laughs> it's yeah like, it's like great wow. what kill fodder we have miss kelly and her bitchy sorority sister yeah seriously i'm like i mean sure why not and like i love seeing like you know lacy got to play something different than than uh miss gretchen wieners <laughs> and i do have to say that mary elizabeth winstead this is not her finest performance I think no. she really fails in this movie. She's not charismatic. Her accent is in and out. It's hardly there. Halfway through the movie, I was like, 
I was like, oh my god, does she have an accent all of a sudden? She's like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like what's going on here. I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> She's come a long way. Oh, um, yeah. Because <laughs> I, lo- I love her. She's given some incredible performances since this. But she probably yeah. also was like, this is a stupid ass movie that. Yeah. You know, whatever. She's I'm like, going to be working with Quentin Tarantino next year. So, like, ugh, I'm going to give z- 0%. What the hell is her character doing in this movie? She's country queen bitch. <laughs> but she doesn't even do that. She doesn't even do the country yeah. queen thing. I don't know. <laughs> weird, 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 weird. But it, this is a decline in storytelling. I think the strongest of this group is Andrea Martin as Miss Mac because she's taken yeah, this character and it's completely written differently. Like she actually cares about these girls. She makes the effort to be involved in their lives. She's a protector. She's, yeah. you know, cheering them on, rooting them on. She's totally invested in the sorority. And I think that's a nice new Miss Mac for us to like. Yeah. Compared to, you know, the boozy, the booze hound from last one. <laughs> that boozy old hag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That boozy old hag. No, I really love Andrea Martin just in general. I don't think she can do any wrong. So mm-hmm. yeah, she she does what she can with Miss Mac here. Yeah. And, and, um, and these girls didn't buy her no ugly ass moo. They bought her lingerie yeah, with cherries sexy. on it. She's like yeah. yeah, she was like, does it come with a man that I to can wear, wear it for? Her? Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> So we get some of Billy's backstory. So now we're confirmed. The character's name is Billy, okay? And he used to live in a sorority house, which is why he's attacking them. So now you've taken out this element of mystery. You've taken out the killer. You know, now he's targeting this house because he used to live in it. Even though I don't believe that that white trash family lived in this big ass house. In this big ass mansion? (laughs) Like, what in the hell? Like, why did... How did they afford this? Aside from that... His mother is abusive alcoholic who also commits incest. His skin is yellow. The the direction they take this whole backstory in is completely disgusting. And I think I yeah. get what they're doing. Like they're trying to make it shocking, but it's just yeah. repulsive. And it's like, but that's all disgusting. it is. It's shock. It's shock value over substance. Yes. And, you know, and, and it's like, I, I don't even need half the stuff that we learn about Billy and Agnes and the mom and stuff. Like, honestly, I would have liked more time getting to know the girls. So I cared about them when they died. Oh, yeah. Because I literally could give a shit about any of them when they die. Billy's storyline is heavily riddled into this story. And I, yeah. and it's just too much. Like, why does he have to be yellow? Why is he yellow? What did that contribute to the story? Him being yellow? That he has a liver disorder. Like, okay. And what did that drive him nuts? So like, he, what, what yeah, is going well, I, on? I mean, I guess it's the reason why his mom doesn't love him. But it's like, okay. It's very stupid. I That is the, the stupidest part of this movie. Like, I don't mind that it has camp and silliness to it. What I do mind is this grotesque storyline that they've interjected, interwoven into this yeah. movie. I'm like, this is horrific. This is stupid. Yeah. Like, why are we watching this woman have sex with her bare breasts hanging out on the stairs and then going upstairs and and then we watch her fuck her child? Like, what in the hell? It's gross. It is gross. And then not only that, they have a kid. There's a kid in this oh, together. God. Here's Agnes. Miss Agnes. They then introduced this thing that he's also a cannibal because he cooked his mother's flesh with cookie cutters <laughs> of angels and things. And also he has this fascination with eyes for whatever reason, because he rips out Agnes's eye and then that gives them uh, this backstory to then rip out everybody else's eyes. 
Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, this is our our motif for Billy is eyes. It's like, okay. This is bad. And there are too many characters. Yeah. There are too many characters and that yes. are just designed to be it's like we get Megan this whole little like soap opera drama. Again, another subplot of Kelly's yeah. boyfriend Kyle had met Megan previously and they had sex and it's on tape and that's what he does. Why? That has nothing to do with the plot the, uh, of the story. Her being badass naked. Badass <laughs> naked. I know. <laughs> and then she dies right away. We don't... Megan doesn't even get her justice. Like, she... I can't even tell you what Megan looks like. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Like, we're reading this. I'm like, I don't remember what that girl looked like. She's so inconsequential. Girl, who's Megan? You're just thinking Audrina. <laughs> yeah, literally. I just think Audrina. Like, I'm like, oh, that's Megan. Not my Megan. Not my <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like some really cheap things like i i don't know this always gets me do you know what like wilhelm screams are no they're like those generic screams you oh that yeah and they like use them in every movie and yeah and there's like that scene where like Bi- i think billy's attacking his mom or something and it's just like all the all the wilhelm screams and it's just like god this is so cheap it is and it didn't have to be that's the problem they were like oh let's throw a phone call or two in there that aren't even remotely close to being as scary no. or gross <laughs> as the original call or effective yeah i was like what i was like are they kidding i was like this is what they do so they like amped up everything else to be that disgusting and then these like tame ass phone calls happen i'm like are you kidding me no yeah he's like yeah christmas i'm gonna be home for christmas you're my family <laughs> now mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm gonna kill you like oh yeah this <laughs> oh, is wow very unsettling <laughs> Ooh, very scary I, even their reactions to it i'm like they're not convinced yeah uh, kyle's whole character in this movie just sneaking into the Annoying. house and all of a sudden he's pissed you all you stuck up bitches come bitches yeah the characters are horribly horribly written they and they took <laughs> everything that we loved about the original that we just discussed and they stripped yeah. it all away to give us stock yes. characters being killed with fucking fucking plastic bags and candy canes. <laughs> and oh we forgot about Eve. What is uh, the inclusion of Eve? Why is she is she they a red tr- herring? Is she Yes, what they is tried her to make us think that she might be Agnes and she's obsessed with Billy. She has like newspapers of his face in her room. I'm like, why are they so sketched out with her? Because she has glasses. But then I'm right confused. away they tell us that she's dead. So I'm like, what the fuck was Eve? Yeah. I yeah, just don't, exactly. I don't like this setup. Just ridiculous. But there's like, you know, like you said, the references, they're, they're trying their best. I would say to like, mm. you know, pay homage to the original. So we have the plastic bags. We have, Eve gifting that unicorn. Right. Um, you know, we have the phone calls, but like so far, everything has just been pretty lackluster in comparison. I know. All right. So should we uh, keep going? Yes. Freaked, Freaked out, out by, by the, the story, story of Billy and Agnes, Agnes Kelly goes, goes inside, inside Megan's room and finds the sex tape paused on her computer. computer. This is the Mona in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Mona. I know. How dumb. 
Kelly breaks down and Kyle tells her it was before they met. Kelly screams for him to leave and Miss Mac physically pushes him out of the house. <laughs> the girls return downstairs to find Claire's half-sister, Lee, played by Kristen Cloak, who tells the girls that Claire failed to show up. Suddenly, the power goes out. Dana says the circuit breaker is under the house and she will go turn it on because she's not just the stupid bitch that everyone thinks she is. <laughs> yes, exactly. She opens the door to the crawl space and looks inside. Suddenly, the killer pulls her in and stabs her in the head with a gardening tool. Lauren is wasted now as she's been drinking all night and she throws up. Melissa puts Lauren in the shower where someone watches her from a broken tile in the floor. Melissa then puts Lauren to bed. Kelly questions what is taking Dana so long and is even more startled when someone calls from Dana's cell number and hangs up. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> the rest of the girls go outside to look for her. Heather and Lee find Eve's car still parked outside. They open the car door and scream as Eve's severed head rolls out. Kelly calls the police, but because of the snow, it may take over two hours for them to arrive. Miss Mack tells the girls that she will go with Heather to find help. Heather gets in the car as Miss Mack scrapes ice off of the windshield. Through the windshield, she sees Billy kill Heather. Her blood sprays all over the windshield. Miss Mack falls against the garage door, causing an icicle to fall from above, impaling her through the head. Okay, I know this actually happens in real life every once in a while, but not in a movie where they're supposed to be getting killed by the killer. Yes, in these specific circumstances, you're just going to have a happenstance death. Give me a fucking break. (laughs) Kelly and Lee notice Miss Mack hasn't left yet and discover her dead outside. Meanwhile, in the house, the killer attacks Melissa. As she tries to escape through a window, the killer throws an ice skate at her, which slices off the back of her head. <laughs> okay, I do like that inclusion of the ice skates. It's winter. <laughs> I Yes, I like that. Lean into that stuff. I don't mind it. Kelly and Lee rush inside and call for Melissa. There is no answer, and they go to Lauren's room, closing the door behind them. Kyle suddenly kicks open the door. Lee attacks him and he throws her against Lauren's bed, causing the covers to fall off, revealing Lauren dead with her eyes gouged out. Everyone screams and Kyle insists he isn't the killer. Kelly calls Lauren's cell phone and hears it ringing in the attic. Kyle opens the attic door and is pulled inside. Kelly and Lee try to get into the attic, but the door slams shut. Kyle has a bag put over his head and is stabbed to death with a unicorn ornament seen earlier. Kelly breaks the door open and witnesses the killer pulling one of Kyle's eyes out and eating it. Why not? White trash cannibals. Where have I seen this before? (laughs) (laughs) Lee attacks the killer and is thrown across the room, discovering Claire's body. The killer attacks Kelly and Lee tries to help but is knocked into a hole in the floor. A bag is put over Kelly's head, but she grabs a fork and stabs the killer in the eye. She is able to free herself and sees the killer has a glass eye. It's Agnes. Kelly tells her that her brother isn't here. Agnes tells her that her daddy is. (laughs) Billy comes from behind and lights a candle. (laughs) How do we burn this place down? We'll just have him light a candle. Yeah, just Uh, have him light a candle. Make sure you see it. Agnes attacks Kelly, but they are both knocked into another hole in the floor that pins them between the walls. Lee comes to her rescue, smashing open the wall. Lee grabs Kelly and pulls her to safety as the attic catches fire from Billy's candle. The two survivors (laughs) rush outside, assuming Agnes and Billy are burning inside. At the hospital, a morgue worker talks on the phone as the supposedly dead bodies of Agnes and Billy lay in body bags. 
Suddenly, Billy awakes, killing the morgue worker. Kelly is going to have some tests done and is taken to get x-rays. Lee comes into Kelly's room and as she approaches the bed, Agnes springs up from the bed and snaps Lee's neck. (laughs) Kelly comes back into the room and Agnes grabs her from behind the curtain and starts to strangle her. Kelly grabs a defibrillator paddle and shocks Agnes in the head with it, killing her. Suddenly, Billy comes down from the ceiling as Kelly rushes out of the room. Billy follows, slashing her with a scalpel. She manages to throw him over the stairway, causing him to fall on top of the Christmas tree below, which impales him through the stomach. The end. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God we got to the end of that. Woo! Jesus Christ. Okay. So everyone dies. The end. What are the final (laughs) thoughts? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do think that there are some cool moments throughout this second half. Sure cooler moments than at least the first half. Yeah, definitely. Or most of them, I guess, would be from the creative Christmassy ways that these people get killed. Yeah. You know, like like the ice skate, like we said before, and the icicle, and you know, things like that. But we were talking about this before we recorded, and we're like, I was like, didn't the trailer show a whole bunch of different shit? How these characters died. So this is... Okay, Scream is doing the same thing. They've included these scenes that don't exist to throw us off. But they told us that they've done that. It's up to us to kind of guess what parts in the trailer aren't real. And I think we figured it out earlier, but we won't discuss it here. Yeah. (laughs) But this movie tricked the audiences into thinking that this was going to be a fun sleigh ride, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. People getting pulled into mysterious farm equipment covered in Christmas lights and falling off of ceilings and bodies coming out of ice. Yeah, I'm under in a frozen pond and (laughs) none of that shit is in here. God. Like, it's crazy. That was Janice's body, by the way. I know she's kidding. Um, Oh my god. (laughs) There's like Billy, there's like these moments of Billy looming over Michelle Trachtenberg in the hallway. None of that is in here, but all of those were added specifically for the trailer to make the movie look more exciting which is terrible that's hilarious not not putting scenes in the trailer to make it look more exciting than it actually is that they filmed later which you can tell because Lacey Chabert's hair is totally different in those added scenes yeah and but why is that death look way more exciting than the one that we got in the movie it looks so much better and actually she's committing more to her character in the trailer (laughs) than she is to her character in this movie literally in this movie she gets stabbed with a fucking gardening tool gardening shovel and a small one at that like those little spade ones so stupid but the trailer shows her being pulled into like a snowball thrower that's covered in christmas lights like by her the foot like is that what that is that looks cool yeah yeah i had no idea what that thing was yeah that's what that's what i always knew i was like you know, <laughs> you know i was like not that making snowballs. up uh, machines to kill people um <laughs> <laughs> that's a giant hoe <laughs> yeah <laughs> being pulled into the machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also in the trailer... Well, no, sorry. In an alternate version of this movie, I think the UK version, um, Melissa's death is quite different too. There's no ice skate. She actually gets... This is even better. She gets a bag thrown over her head and her eyes gouged out. (laughs) Isn't that cool and different? <laughs> wow. They should have kept oh that God. in. That's so different than anything else. I don't know why else. they didn't think to 
they should have done that in this movie. But that would have been mind blowing. <laughs> they pull out both of her eyes and then they <gasps> drag her down the hallway by her eye sockets. Uh, That's kind wow. of elevating it. <laughs> but um, yeah. the ice skate idea is much better because those things are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and I love that Michelle Trachtenberg was like, I'm not doing this movie unless I die. Because apparently her character was originally scripted to live. She was and like, she I'm was not like, doing another one. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's like, no, please at least kill my character. I don't ever want to come back here. <laughs> so and they did. They obliged. They're like, whatever. The script of this movie means nothing. So, sure. <laughs> Why not, Michelle? Whatever you want. <laughs> They're all worried. We don't want to do this either. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. We're, we're writing the script day by day anyway, so it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. And then we have this Crystal Lowe playing whoever, Lauren. <laughs> and Lauren. But also, she's no Barb. <laughs> she's no Barb. No. They do mention that she's sort of like, at least my family wants me home for Christmas. Uh, Heather says, <laughs> and um, she's like, whatever. And takes a big swig of her wine, and I'm like, first of all, this is stupid. And uh, yeah, Lauren <laughs> is naked. <laughs> yeah, and Barb, I don't remember Barb being naked. Okay, no, she didn't have to get naked to prove her point. We don't get to see her die, but her eyes are gouged out, and there's a lot of perverted scenes of her naked body. Yeah, exactly. I was like, my God. Yeah, I was like, here we go. Here's the TNA. Gotta yeah. check that box for the 2000s. It's nice, though, because at least we now know what her ass looks like, because in Final Destination 3, we only see her tits and no ass, and this one, it's all <laughs> ass and no tits. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So God. now we know Ooh, what her full we're... naked body looks like. <laughs> yeah. Now we just need a movie with her coochie in it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And her toes. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> like you said, just a slap in the face to the original. You know, there was no extreme sexualization of those characters. It was just like good old fashioned storytelling. I think where this movie did pick up from the original is um, that this too has a long, convoluted, drawn out <laughs> sort of <laughs> ending. Literally, it's like the it's like the movie won't end. It's like. Not it's like torturing us with how long it's going. <laughs> it's like yeah, what? It, they fall Did into this... the walls, and then Kyle dies, and then Lee saves her. And da-da-da. I also don't like that Lee shows up halfway through the movie, and all yeah. of a sudden she's one of the heroes of the film. Like I know, what? I do find her to be a nice upgrade from uh, Mister whatever his name is from the first movie because this bitch she has a bone structure for days. <laughs> so oh yeah, like, and she's from, also from the Final Destination franchise. <laughs> Yeah, she does. She's Miss Valerie Luton. <laughs> I don't know why I remember yes. her name. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of but, a yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is an upgrade from him. She does have some nice moments, too, where she she's, like, um, talking about how she was also in that sorority. And I'm like, what year? She oh, goes, yeah. I don't know, 92, 93. She goes, well, I was house mother in 92. I don't remember you. Because it was probably in the fucking 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah, she... It, it just kind of make her, like, seem sp- suspicious. I'm like, is she lying? But, the, but then I start thinking, like, who cares? <laughs> There's nothing in the script they, is, is, like, worth, like, trying to explore. Like, just let it happen. I just have to, like, let no. it wash over me. Yeah. And this hospital scene... I think you mentioned is very scream for. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, they literally expected us to forget that this piece of shit movie existed. And they said, we're just going to take it and do it better because there's so the false ending, the 
defibrillator, the empty hospital, like it, it just, it, I'm like, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but to top it all off, we have Billy plunging to his death atop a Christmas tree that impales bitch. him. I know. What a joke. With a, sh- with a sharp ass ornament on top. Uh, that would never happen logistically, but do you know what? Ugh, whatever. <laughs> the tree would have broken. Yeah. It would have just <laughs> bent. It would have bent. Like shit, I can't even put like a slightly heavy Christmas ornament on it, or the whole shit will fall over. Like I can't imagine an entire exactly. body like falling on top of this thing. Yeah, and I then, know. Like, the, <laughs> the organs like wrapped around it. Like, come on. I mean, all right. but I I do I do kind of appreciate those things that they kind of threw in there because it does make it campy. Like, okay, this would never sure. happen, but the imagery is nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else to say about this? I don't know. There's like really weird moments, like Heather exploding in the car. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what happened? Well, like what a dumb death. Not exploding. Like what even happened to her? <laughs> like, I also want to know how her? Eve's severed head was frozen, rolled out into the snow, was then collected by one of the killers and put on top of a Christmas tree where it warmed up and gained its color back. I know. <laughs> I always think that's so funny in movies when it's like the, all this murder and mayhem is happening yet somebody still has the time to like arrange some sort of demented Christmas picture with like all these people like putting the head up there and ha- posing all these bodies like when do they drag them there like how did this happen so quickly it's just you know silly. it's silly and you know what and at the end of the day I think I realized the point of this film is that honestly it's just one big Motorola ad <laughs> There's so much product placement for Motorola in this movie between all their fucking stupid cell phones, their little razor flip phones that they have. They're like, wait, how did you get that ringtone? I'm like, not yeah, it being special yeah. if they customize <laughs> their ringtones. Shut up. Shut up. Ugh, God. Your final thoughts. <laughs> okay. Um, my final thoughts are that this is a total fucking downgrade from 1974. Um, the sorority yeah. sisters, they're just terribly written. Their lines, their little bitchy zingers that could have been funny fall flat. Yeah. This movie, I will say, can be fun. And it can be campy. I do find it passively entertaining. Like, maybe watch mm-hmm. it in between. If it's on TV, maybe watch it during a commercial break of some other show. (laughs) Sure. I do think that they took elements of the OG and they did make it their own. But honestly, I think that this writing is a disaster. The killer is convoluted. There are too many subplots. The dialogue is hideous. Uh, The aesthetic, though, I think is pleasing to the eye. The use of the more Christmas elements, I think, was its... Saving grace. Um, I think that this had potential because they did have a great cast. They did have a great aesthetic. There's wasted. Wasted. It, this could have been so much better. I don't know. As far as quality goes, I'm giving this a fucking two turtle dust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly why I rated it. Two turtle doves because this is a hot mess. I think, okay, here's how I describe this movie. Um. It's like being at like a Christmas party in a blizzard, right? Okay. And you're inside and everything looks beautiful, but somebody left the fucking front door and all the windows open. So it's not very enjoyable. And you're like, <laughs> this is very, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is really pretty to be in, but I'm freezing my ass off and this is not fun. 
<laughs> like, no. that's what it feels like yeah. to me. And the host of the party maybe set up too many complicated Christmas games to play. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And you're like, oh my God, I'm freezing my ass off. I can't even think about what's going on here. Do you want to try um, this signature cocktail of the evening? It's eggnog mixed with whiskey and also tequila with a splash of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and a Christmas cookie as a garnish. Yes, yes, exactly. You're just like, this is too much. I'm not having fun. It, I, it looks nice. I'm happy to be here, but it just feels horrible. It's so <laughs> grotesque. Yeah. But last year's party was fucking amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So two turtle doves for me. It's just overall <laughs> just not my favorite. Will I watch it again? Probably. Exactly. It's watchable. <laughs> I don't even know. I've, I haven't even considered it watchable, but I will watch it because I am a glutton for punishment sometimes. And I'm yeah. like, whatever, it's still Christmas. At this point, you just watch so. it and you go, this is so stupid. Yes. <laughs> it's so stupid and so gross. Anyway. What two songs did you pick for a soundtrack Sunday for this one? So I picked I'll Be Home for Christmas. Um, I picked whatever version I thought sounded like the saddest. <laughs> so I picked uh, the Lana Del Rey, Casey Musgraves version. <laughs> and, um, you know, because there's a lot of talk about Billy's coming home. Billy lived here in this home. And he home, says, home, he home. writes it on a note. I'll be home for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, great. Then the non-Christmas song I picked was Family Affair by Mary J. Blige <laughs> because... We're keeping it all in the family here. Billy, Agnes, mom, they're all the same. They're all mom. They're all brother. They're all... Ew. They're all related (laughs) in more ways than one. (laughs) So it's a family affair up in here. I picked uh, Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses. And I think uh, mostly because it's kind of like the girl in the song is sort of like bored and blah. Yeah. You know, and she (laughs) is also nonsensical. Yeah, <laughs> she's disillusioned with Christmas, just like yeah, these girls are. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and um, the second, the non-Christmas song that I picked for this one was "In Your Eyes" by The Weeknd and Doja Cat because I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain in detail why you picked a song about eyes. <laughs> um, which I think now brings us to our final movie of the evening. Yes, eyes that bleed black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of eyes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we are on to the 2019 critical failure <laughs> that is Black Christmas 2019. I think this is the one movie of this franchise to have an audience score lower than the critic score. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, the audience score is at 31%, and the Rotten Tomato score is at 34%, which does give it a higher score than 2006 which is at a 15 percent on rotten tomatoes and i will say that seems about right that sounds right to me yeah yeah all right right. shall we just dive into this one yes all right get your diva cups up lady (laughs) because uh we're going to black christmas 2019 you messed with the wrong sisters Black Christmas, Christmas, released in 2019, written by Sophia Takal and April Wolf, directed by Sophia Takal. Our movie begins on the campus of Hawthorne College. Delta Sigma sorority sister Lindsay is walking home alone. Lindsay then gets a direct message from someone claiming to be Calvin Hawthorne, the school's founder. 
she notices that she is being stalked by a cloaked figure wearing a mask. Lindsay tries running into a nearby house for help, but another masked man is there. Instead of running, she falls to the ground and the cloaked figure grabs an icicle and fatally stabs her. He then drags her body away. In another sorority house, MKE, we meet Riley, played by Imogen Poots, who lives with her sorority sisters, namely Chris, played by Elise Shannon, Marty, played by Lily Donahue, Jesse, played by Brittany O'Grady, Helena, played by Madeline Adams, and Franny. (laughs) (laughs) And their cat, Claudette. Oh, yes. There we go. They're like, we need to pay some sort of homage to the first movie. (laughs) There has to be something in here that relates to the original somehow, some way. Yeah. Oh, my God. The cat. Yeah, but make it a girl cat. (laughs) Yeah, Claude. (laughs) Debt. Riley goes to a class taught by Professor Gelson, played by Carrie Elways, who has come under fire for sexism. He's aware that there's a petition going around started by Chris, who is known for her activism. The petition is to have him removed after he yelled at Chris for questioning why their reading curriculum relied heavily on white men and didn't include a diverse set of authors. Chris is also noted for having a bust of Calvin Hawthorne removed due to Hawthorne's own history of misogyny, slave owning, and the use of evil magic to ritually sacrifice women. (laughs) To top it all off. (laughs) After class, Chris and Marty go with Riley to the coffee shop where she works. A shy, nerdy guy named Landon, played by Caleb Eberhardt, who has a clear crush on Riley, signs Chris's petition after overhearing them talk. Riley is then unnerved when a frat boy from DKO named Phil comes in, tauntingly reminding the ladies about a talent show at their frat house later that night, in which former president Brian Huntley will be in attendance. This troubles Riley since Brian raped her years earlier, and even though she came forward, he escaped punishment. The sisters dress up for the event and go to the frat house where they plan to perform a song. Riley wanders the house looking for Helena and finds a room where some frat brothers are performing a ritual with Hawthorne's bust, which is leaking black liquid from its orifices. Riley sees a pledge have some of the liquid smeared on his head. She then goes to another room where she finds Phil and Helena about to have sex, but seeing that Helena is far too intoxicated, she prevents Phil from taking things further, and Riley sends Helena home. Unfortunately for Riley, Helena was supposed to perform with Chris, Marty, and Jesse, so Riley must now take her place. The ladies go on stage to perform, but Riley freezes when she sees Brian's smug face looking at her. The other three help her before Riley gathers up the nerve to perform the song, which is meant to call out the frat's rape culture, citing her own story. The women in the audience love it, but the frat brothers react with anger. Meanwhile, back at the sorority house, we see a cloaked figure stalking Helena in her room. The next morning, Franny is left alone at the sorority house, where she is strangled with Christmas lights by a cloaked figure. While out on the town, Riley gets a call from Helena's mother, who says she never arrived home that day like she was supposed to. Riley then starts getting threatening DMs from the Hawthorne account. She was also informed by Delta Sigma that Lindsay is also missing. Riley goes to campus security to report that Helena is missing, but she's met with clear indifference after she explains the DKO talent show. The officer escorts her to the DKO house to see if any of them have taken Helena, but nobody answers, so the cop leaves. Riley then runs into Gelson, accidentally dropping his papers. Among them, she finds a list of ladies' names, including her own. Gelson appears to intimidate Riley by stating that he saw their talent show video online, 
And he also notes that the college has sacrificed a lot to uphold certain traditions, and they have come too far to have their names tarnished. Okay, I see what this movie is trying to do, obviously. Yeah, They've taken the feminist message of the first movie, and they've kind of expanded on it. They've included real-life horror, like uh, women being raped in college. Yeah, I mean, it it seems like... The, they're they're very aware of like college rape culture and things that plague women in in college settings and um they're they're like just like ramped it up to like a thousand right our final girl we've come we come to learn is a victim of having been raped which is sort yeah. of handled irresponsibly in this movie like it's sure. part of her story and when we see her overcome her attacker in the end, it's rewarding, but it's sort of just like haphazardly thrown in. Like, first of all, I have yeah. a lot of questions. Like, why do you still go here? Why is he still able to come on campus? Why would you even go to the fraternity house if you knew he was there? I don't know. It, there's a lot of questions. It feels very heavy handed. And I know that's a lot of people's issue with this. Like they... You know, they're saying that this movie is just so, so woke that it becomes like a parody of itself. It's so heavy handed with that, which like, which I get. And then I also understand, like, I understand, but also I get that point of view, too, where it's like. I think I understand that. But I think to almost like better explain it is like they took these elements that are real life horror and they've introduced yeah. them, which it's a conversation that needs to be had, just like we were applauding yes. the f- original film for including yeah. its feminist message. I think this storyline could also exist in this un- in this franchise, in this universe. Yeah. But I think the movie is so bad <laughs> that what comes of it, the supernatural stuff, the just how poorly written and yeah. put together it all is, and especially because it's a PG-13 movie. So now you have kids right. going to see this movie and instead of being empowered, they get distracted by how awful it is. So they walk out of here saying it was a bad movie instead of appreciating the message that it was trying to present. Absolutely. No, I, and I, I think that this, like, maybe this could have gone over better with a different team. You know, I, I, I don't know if it all should fall on, you know, Miss Sophia and April's like lap as the writers of this movie. But I mean... So I feel like they probably do have a bit of (laughs) responsibility in how poor the writing is. I mean, it was a collaboration between the two of them. Like, maybe had it been put in more capable hands, it would have been different. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, mean, it's just like, look at the material, you know. Look at the material, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But also, on the other hand, I think maybe this movie might have fared better with a different title. I don't think that connecting it to either of the previous films did any service to this movie. No, because it's dropped everything that the first two involved, which I mean, sure. Yeah. But it just, it doesn't work. Nothing in this movie works in this franchise. Um, This Mm -hmm. title was just a way to kind of boost it. Other than them being in in a sorority and the cat being named Claudette, it has nothing to do with... Yeah, I um, think there was one bag I saw that went over somebody's head for a second. Yeah, they, it gets taken yeah, off right away. Like, um, and yeah. also, I do think that the writing of the characters has a lot to do with the failure. Aside from Chris, none of these girls 
Uh, you know, and uh, Riley's kind of written not terribly, but Chris and Riley. Yeah. Aside from them, all these girls are basically stock characters in a very complicated situation because they're supposed to be strong women who are activists and scholars. And then we have this opening kill, Miss Lindsay. Yeah. Who, like the synopsis says, instead of running, she falls to the ground. Right. But then also there are things in it that are good. And that's why this movie is so crazy to me. Like (laughs) the opening scene does depict like the anxiety that, that women face when they're walking alone at night. And, you know, like, yes, is this person who's walking really closely behind me? Are they a menacing figure? Are they, is their intention to hurt me or is it just them living their life? And so they do call attention to really interesting things. And that's why, like, I don't necessarily hate this movie as much as it gets wrong. There are also some things that I'm like, oh, okay, well, at least those are interesting Interesting ideas. Concepts, yeah. You know, and that they they tried something different. And, you know, I know a lot of people have a problem with how woke it is, but also, like, I don't know. There's like a little hint in some there that's like, it's like, it's like, this could have been really, really powerful. It could have been, yes. And I think that's what it is. Like, it is woke. And I actually don't think it's too woke. I think it's just enough. I just think that they handled it without a certain level of care. The story should have been better. The writing should have been better. I think that would have helped. Yeah, right. And I know that uh, a lot of that comes down to the fact that this movie was written very, very quickly. Mm. And you can tell, like, you know, I think maybe had they taken more time to really figure out what they were trying to create here like this like feminist story but also this like supernatural Ugh. horror mixed in with a slasher with you know it's like how do we effectively make this work because mm-hmm. something's disconnected yeah they also did something different in this movie um they changed the material of the snow <laughs> this is fucking sand like what is this uh, Oh my gosh. It looks so bad. I think it is really cool though when she's on the ground and she's like dying but also making a snow angel. That's cool. I thought that was cle- I thought that was clever. Is that not clever? Am I crazy? But it looks like kinetic sand. Looks like yeah, like in a in a Japanese sand garden or you know those <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah. It doesn't feel like winter. This is the one yeah. movie in this franchise that does not feel like winter. I will say this movie feels the least like Christmas for me. Whereas 2006 was so heavy with the Christmas. I think 74 was like pretty in between. This one feels the least like it's Christmas to me. I mean, it could have been a Christmas movie, like, it's, uh, but just call it something else. Yeah. We, that way we don't go in with expectations and it had the freedom to... To be what it was on its own. To be a disaster outside of the um, franchise. Yeah. But like you're saying, there are some interesting concepts like the professor, Professor Gelson's character being this kind of looming presence in the school, being like a yeah. sort of like everything that we, you know, don't like about men, like just yeah. toxic masculinity who's trying to uphold this idea that women shouldn't, probably shouldn't even be at that school. Um, and he's racist and sexist. and Yeah, because that, that is something that's real. It's like some like people are so fixated on what has always been that they're not ever willing to adapt to how we society changes and evolves and mm. you know because there are still a lot of people that do think like this and yeah and it's coming from the lineage of these white men that we no longer 
need to listen to, which brings us yeah. to Calvin Hawthorne, which is the name of the school, and the school's founder was known to be a misogynist, a slave owner, and to use evil magic to ritually sacrifice women. The way in which this is presented, that Hawthorne was this person, they're filming it through a window looking down at the women underneath and they're talking is like a sound like a voiceover of them talking and I think it was added later on like I don't think that this was ever probably probably fully fleshed out in the script and they were like I think we need something to explain why Hawthorne's bust can be used this way I think we need to actually have some backstory on Calvin Hawthorne more than just a quick sentence I think we needed to learn a little bit more as to why the his presence was so threatening or like what his bust meant, you know, or like what the magic of the bust of Calvin Hawthorne is or where it comes from. I don't know. It feels like that needed to be explained a little more. Yeah. I do like Chris. I do kind of like Riley. Marty's very bland. I care about these characters way more than I cared about a single character in 2006. In 2006. Yeah, Marty's sort of bland. I think what makes her interesting is her dynamic, her relationship dynamic with her boyfriend. And then we have Jessie, who is just this complete throwaway character. She's dumb. But she's so cute. She's so pretty. Gorgeous. Stunning. So cute. In my notes, I wrote, I wrote ha ha, I like Jessie. I don't oh. know why. I like <laughs> She her. has some good moments. She has some funny moments. She's like, yeah. do I just put the ham in the oven? Because that seems too easy. Like, that's funny. Yeah. But <laughs> she's funny. She's, she's funny. She's sweet. She just doesn't offer much more than that. Yeah. There's no brains. Um, but I do. But then again, I do like that conversation she has about the animals. Oh, yes. I think that's, I think that was actually one of the stronger moments in the script is when she brings up, she's like, well, what, what are your, what's your favorite animal or your animals. three favorite animals? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I thought that was kind of good writing and I thought it made her character smarter than she comes across or yeah. at least more. I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe she read it on a BuzzFeed article or something. <laughs> I guess it could be taken that way too. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I just liked that it made her character a little more insightful than she is kind of comes off on the surface. Well, I think when we get to that scene, there are actually a lot of very um, important things that come up in that scene. Yeah, that I think are literally that literally that's the strongest, the strongest uh, area of this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, right. as far as like the build up to these characters, they are important. They do have good backstories, but they there's just something lacking, and I think sure it may be the performances slightly it may be due to the acting because i do think that the the idea behind the characters is well written but i'm not sure that it was executed as best as it could be sure 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 what do we think of this like performance scene the did did it it did 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 do I love it. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I love that they that we have these uh, girls go in there and perform this song in front of these boys who uh, one of them was accused of rape yeah. and all of his brothers backed him up. So for them to go up there and do this, I think that is empowering. Yeah. However, I think everything leading up to this is weak because I don't know that Riley would have gone to this so i do question the characters yeah uh, their decisions and their choices like i'm like would she do that would this would she do that would this person who has had this traumatic experience 
not only with the frat house, but knowingly going in, knowing that her attacker is in this house, would she have gone? The answer is no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. I know. And like, it is an empowering moment when she sort of like faces up to it, but it's like, would she have been there at all? I don't know. Would she have been there at all? No. And also that they made her like, she's this great singer. She's not. Uh, <laughs> are you sing? Like, what? No, I love no. when they present it. They're like, they're showing me this video of you're really good, and they they show, they kind of play in the background it's like jingle bells, jingle bells, <laughs> <laughs> like haphazardly singing jingle bells. Um, yeah. Um, but also, Riley's like, "Where's Helena?" And they're like, "I don't know." And she's like, "Oh my god!" You know, trauma kicks in. She wants to find her sister so that she make sure she's safe. She ventures around yeah. the house, and they're having a full-blown yeah. evil magic ritual happening when they know While there's that a party. this party is going on in the same house. That's ridiculous. The bus is, like, crying blood because... Or not even blood. They can't even show blood because this is a fucking PG-13 movie. Yeah. And so they're like, how do we get around this? Black. Mm, let's black look. blood. Black blood. Black Christmas. Black, black Christmas. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Brilliant. We're brilliant. This whole moment of them finding, of of her finding this ritual, gives away the twist of the movie. Yeah, twenty minutes in. Yes, and then it's like, okay, so when it happens, it's like, oh yeah, we knew this, we knew this to be happening. It's bad. It's not put together well. Then it's like this reminds me kind of like the skulls. Remember that movie? <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. like evil fraternity, a lot of hoods and cloaks and secret societies and. It's like, okay, but we don't really get to know why, how, anything about it. We just have to accept that this this bust is magic. And yes. It, and it's like, what does it do to these boys? It like gives them superhuman strength? They No, they actually become possessed by the spirit of Hawthorne. And that gives them super strength so that they can kill women. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's just like... It it just boggles my mind because there are some things that I really think work and there's some things that just don't. It's so true. It's like for every good moment, there are three bad ones. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's like, damn it. I know. Like I'm like rooting for this movie to work and it just like. It doesn't. It doesn't. But there are some mo- moments that are like kind of good. Like that, like Franny's death or like her attack. That shit is scary, and that scared the fuck out of Joey, who was sitting next to me, who wasn't really paying attention to the movie. But when that happened, and like the cloak, the cloaked figure or whatever, yeah. just sort of like walks out and grabs her, which I uh, came to find out is actually, I don't know if it's a reference or they just full on copied it. Is an a, it mirrors the same attack as somebody who gets attacked in The Exorcist Three. It's like the same. Oh, the, style n- the of nurse attack. thing. Yeah. Or it's in like in a hospital or something, right? Yeah, it's in a hospital. Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, oh, that reminds me of that random scene that always gets celebrated in The Exorcist. It's probably the only death worth talking about. The only... Yes. It's the only scary moment of this movie. Yeah. Because Lindsay's death was an epic failure. Like, using an icicle, like, just peeling it off of the house and stabbing her with it in the middle of a suburb. I... On the street. On the street. Yeah. In public. (laughs) In public for everybody to see. Okay. They've replaced the phone calls completely in this with DMs. How do you feel about that? Well, 
I mean, it is 2019. I mean, do I you ever talk on the phone unless you have to? <laughs> it's like, it's time to get with it. <laughs> there yeah. is this moment where Helena's mom calls Riley and she's like, she's and she's like, hello, pardon, pardon, <laughs> and then she's like, hi, it's Helena's mom. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know. And then, and then kind of like, okay, so that's like an element from the original Black Christmas. And then the sort of secure, lazy security guard of the campus security just sort of being like, maybe she's with their boyfriend. You know, it's like that idea yeah. is back into action. Same, here. Yeah, very, yeah, like men not believing women when they, they come forward. Yeah, like you're just overthinking you know, another, it and being frantic and emotional. Right, exactly. Another hot topic, but yeah, and it also correlates to the 74 film. So, okay, I get it. There are also a lot of sloppy things that play into this mythology. Like they have a list of the ladies' names of who's against him and... Uh, Professor Gelson that we're talking about here because he's like the leader some for some reason. Duh. <laughs> yeah, duh. And um, he has these papers that Riley sees with their names on it and then also there's this thing that's happening where all of their stuff is going missing. One girl's diva cup goes missing and then oh. a, a comb is missing. It's these things that are popping up is missing which, why are they missing? Why, why do they need that? No. Is it like voodoo where you have to have like a, an item of the person in order f- to know when, who to attack? Or when these boys become possessed, do they smell the item? And they're like, that's who I'm <laughs> yeah. going after. This is silly. Yeah. I don't I don't think that anything is worth really elaborating on other than that. I do think, like you're saying, these strong moments are the Professor Gelson storyline, I think is really strong. I think the yeah. the reason that the girls are doing things is really strong, but the movements and actions they make are not strong. And their characters are written weakly. Yeah. So, so far, there's good and bad in this opening. Yeah. But there's more yeah. bad than good. Right. It's out, it, The scale is tipped, you know. So can it make it out? <laughs> well, let's find out. Riley, Riley runs, runs back, back to the sorority, sorority house to confront Chris, who uploaded the full video of their performance from the night before. But she also recorded Riley saying, that'll teach Brian not to rape another girl. She thinks the video is what is causing the DKO frat to antagonize them. Although Chris is apologetic, she defends her stance by saying that they cannot let the men try to scare them. Marty's boyfriend Nate interjects by saying that the ladies have been taking things too far and that they shouldn't assume all men are out to get them. Marty argues with him and kicks him out. Jessie, who left the room due to the arguing, goes to look for Christmas lights in the attic where she is attacked by a cloaked figure. Downstairs, Riley, Chris, and Marty start getting more threatening messages until they find a cloaked figure with a bow and arrow shooting at them. Marty is grazed in the leg and they run to hide. Riley tries to find her phone and car keys so they can escape. Chris comes across Jessie, tied up in Christmas lights, dead from a glass shard to the face. Downstairs, Nate shows up again and finds Riley. She tries to explain the situation to him, but he gets shot in the face with an arrow after trying to confront the killer. The figure attacks Riley, but she stabs him in the throat with her keys, killing him. Another figure attacks as Chris and Marty come downstairs. Marty threatens him with a hatchet, but the figure stabs her in the stomach. Riley and Chris run to the kitchen and are attacked, but they stab the figure to death. Riley notices there is no blood coming out of him, but rather... Black ooze. She unmasks him to find the pledge she saw the night before, realizing he's possessed, of course. 
I mean, that's, that's the, that has to be it. Chris and Riley flee the house. We then see the campus officer from earlier arrive at Delta Sigma, where they are also fighting for their lives against masked killers. The officer is killed. Chris struggles to believe Riley's supernatural theory about the bust, causing her to split off on her own. Chris, driving to get help, picks up the survivors of Delta Sigma, and they tell her other sororities are also being attacked. Riley goes to DKO by herself to destroy the Hawthorne bust, as she assumes it holds all the power. She runs into Landon, who offers to help her. He goes into the frat house to break things, to distract the brothers. Riley makes her way inside and finds a room where Helena is tied up. She frees her, but is then knocked out by a cloaked figure, all while Helena gives a sinister smile. Riley wakes up in the room with the bust, where Landon has been brainwashed to be a pledge. Gelson, Brian, and other frat boys reveal themselves as part of a cult who has long upheld Hawthorne's sexist ideals by using evil magic. They discovered the bus leaked the black liquid and contained the power to allow Hawthorne's spirit to possess the pledges and give them inhuman strength. Helena was complicit and obedient, stealing items from the other girls for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) For absolutely no goddamn reason. But this allowed her to be spared. This doesn't last long as they use Helena to demonstrate their power by having a pledge violently break her neck. Riley pretends to submit so she can grab her stolen comb to attack Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's her only comb and she doesn't want to buy another one. Soon, Chris leads the surviving sorority sisters inside to fight the brothers. Brian attacks Riley, but she overpowers him and smashes his head hard enough to kill him. She then grabs the bust and destroys it, taking away the brothers' powers. Chris then grabs a lantern and throws it at Gelson, setting him on fire. The ladies and Landon leave, locking the brothers inside as the house burns to the ground. Alrighty. So I love the way this section opens because it really does have some interesting concepts in the conversation of Riley confronting Chris, saying they've taken it too far, and her defending herself. Like, I'm an activist. Like, this is what we need to do to have our voices be heard. And then Nate chimes in with his sort of masculine idea. You know, counterpoint. Which, you know, when men hear him explaining this, they're like, like, yeah, you know, we're not all bad. But the women are like, you know what? That's not even the fucking point. Like, shut up and let me speak. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I know, because, yeah, there's like this, like, inherent need to be like well not all men are bad but it's like that's not the point but there are a lot of bad men out there (laughs) yes the male presence the the toxic masculinity right and that's what she says says, men have all the power and that's why there needs to be a conversation there needs to be change there needs to be activism in order for that power balance to shift to where there's equity you know yeah, I, so I think this is a successful moment in this film where these, this conversation is happening and it becomes yeah. more of a character study more than anything. And I'm like, this yeah. is nice. This is a nice written moment. But then it all goes to shit because they get attacked and, you know, <sighs> it's this confusing idea that what's attacking them? These possessed frat pledges. So the pledges are being possessed by black goo that oozes out of the orifices of the Calvin Hawthorne bust, which they only recently discovered. Yeah. So, but it's also been an up long, an upheld, long-lasting tradition. Long tradition. Yeah. It's like, like what? what's the truth? What is the truth here? Like, how do they know how to do this? 
so they found out that this bust was magic when it was moved. But how does Gelson know how to lead this, how to perform these rituals? Were they just like, killing girls before without magic? Or what was happening? Yeah. Like, what is the truth here? It just It's so confusing and not well explained. It leaves you with these questions. Like, what is happening? What is the end game? Because they're, kill- they're possessing these pledges to kill all of these girls in these sororities. And then what? And then what? What happens when all these girls are dead and people will say... Why are all these girls dead? Yeah. <laughs> like, who killed them? It's not like these girls, like, disappear or, like, you know, turn into ash and fly away. Like, no. Like, no. They're dead and you killed them. Franny's body is outside building up frost. Like, <laughs> <laughs> somebody's going to find her. Someone's going to find that body. All um, these sororities have a bunch of dead girls in it. Now what? Your jig is up. <laughs> like, What's the end game? That that's what I want to know. Like, what is the purpose, and what is the? How do we yep. end it? What was what, the reason? What's the big overall master plan? There is none. Maybe this is a comment that men are sloppy. Yeah, I guess <laughs> they, they don't think anything out. That women are the only ones with a plan. Yeah, that was it. And they don't. The girls don't have a plan because the way in which they defend themselves in the beginning of this these attacks. Uh, I don't think is enough for me. I would have rather seen the women from 1974 take on this material. I think that it, they would have put up a better fight. Yeah, than some of these. Sure. Girls. So yeah, I mean, I do like the like, I like using like the car keys as a weapon. I thought that was interesting because that is something that women commonly use in order to like walk down the street with. You know, mm-hmm. they, they they tell them put your keys between your your fingers. Because that could be used as a weapon. So I thought that was clever. Like I'm saying, there's like a lot of like clever things in these. But like overall, like the bigger picture is is not well thought out. But they're like, it's like they they implemented like little tiny things from female culture. Yeah. You know, and that they thought that that would appeal enough to like, oh my God, yes. I recognize that moment. I've used a diva cup. I put my my keys between my fingers before like they're just like yeah it's almost like cheap applause you know they're like asking for cheap applause but i do i wish they would have expanded it to even show us some self-defense moves that these girls can use that these girls know that they can use against their attackers like yeah give us more of that show us what a girl should do in this situation because they all get pretty fucked up pretty quickly (laughs) yeah Marty comes at him hatchet first and then stabbed in the stomach. Like, yeah, you forgot to block your stomach. (laughs) (laughs) And you're limping. (laughs) I know. I do think it's interesting that we're getting some bow and arrow action. Like, okay. When it first starts to happen, I'm like, whoa. It's kind of shocking at first. But then you're like... Why that? Like that? Yeah, I'm like okay. I'm why not? I mean, I get it's uh, bone arrows just aren't necessarily scary, unless they're in Valentine. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and that makes more sense, you know, Cupid. This one's yeah. kind of like okay. Yeah, like why, why are they shooting them with bows and arrows? Slow, yeah. Seems in, it seems in. I mean, I guess it's not really inefficient, but also it just seems like I don't know. It doesn't seem as scary. It seems more like all of a sudden we're like in an adventure film. As opposed to <laughs> a horror movie. I don't know. It's just not very... It's not a very scary weapon, I don't think. Yeah. No, it's not. 
And yeah, but you know, but like I do like seeing the girls, you know, fight back what little they do. And we have, you know, like we talked about earlier, this like conversation where they have where you know they talk about ants. Yes. It's like, oh, okay, that was. I really liked her answer because she's like, you know, ants. They, uh, you know, they're part. They're part of a one unit. They got each other's back. They're strong. You know, it was it was a nice little build up, and then we have the ant thing coming back again, and we're like, okay, shut up about the ants. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're you know, ants. Uh, like in the middle of yeah. all the chaos, they're like, yeah, Riley, we're, we're ants. ants. We're fucking we're ants. ants. Let's fucking do and this. It's like, like no, that's not the right. That's not the right pep talk for this moment. <laughs> I know. And then but this. I... Oh, go ahead. Okay, good, good. Um, and then this is kind of where the ending starts. Where, <laughs> yeah, this like third act. The third yeah. act happens. I do like this idea that like all the sororities are 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 fighting for their lives. I think that's interesting. Um, it, it is. A it's bit, interesting. That was a that was a bit of a twist. I was like, oh, okay, it's not just these girls yes. who are going through it. It's all of them. I was like, oh, okay, that that's kind of exciting. It's interesting then, in the sense that like we get these really great moments in the end where the sisters are fighting the fraternity brothers yeah. and they're able to overcome. That's nice, but yeah, it still raises the question of what was gonna be the end result of yeah. These what's girls the end game of this? Killed. All these sororities are being murdered. Yeah, like, that's what just is, the what? one thing that I don't like about this twist. Yeah. This idea that right. it's happening to more than just these girls. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, well, how do you expect to get away with this? Um, but yeah, so then we have this like moment where these girls go on the offense and they come in and they fight. And it's very, very Buffy season seven. Like it's just all these girls coming together to, to take down the men, which is like, okay, cool. But then it also sort of happened. Everything just happens very easily after that. Yeah, it Big becomes fight. like a very cheap action movie. Yeah, like, and she and they destroy the bust, and it's over. Like they did it. Like and it didn't seem like the stakes were were high enough. You know, like I think it's like off. fun. I yeah, I think it's like fun. I guess it's like, but it's like kind of predictable. Mm-hmm. It's like uninspired, like what happens. But it's like it okay, like uninspired. I like I kind of like what's happening that these girls are fighting back. But then everything that happens is just so easy. They do it, they win. The boys, and then they decided to light this house on fire. I mean, yeah. they don't decide to, but they lock these boys in these seemingly innocent boys who are possessed, and just let them all burn the fuck up, <laughs> and like. Yeah. Like, yes, and they're like that is feminism. I know. And then it ends, and we're like, yeah. Oh, we don't oh. even get the aftermath of like. We didn't get an explanation. What we didn't happened? Get, uh, we didn't <laughs> even get like what what their actual master plan is. This. Oh wait, we didn't even talk about Miss Helena. The twist. The twist of all twists, Mama. The twist of all twists <laughs> that me- me- means absolutely nothing when they just kill her. To spare her life, she was like, let me help you. Like, I will steal these girls' tampons so that you can put them on a table in the in the final scene. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, this is exactly what we need. <laughs> and I've been needing a comb since I lost mine. So if you can steal hers for me, that would be great. There's one idea that's presented at the end here that I'm like, okay. And it's sort of like the conditioning of these men that are part of this university and will go off to be leaders in society. 
Okay, yeah. And that... how, what a scary thought that is, that these boys, these boys like Phil, who are in, who's in this movie, who's just a total fucking disgusting, despicable human, <laughs> um, because he has this line where he goes, we're going to go skiing together, but don't worry, it's consensual. And she throws the coffee in his face. Yeah. It's like, things like that, like, are so gross. But to think that that little white boy with the bad jokes and the disgusting frame of mind will go off one day and be a senator or something, you know, or be your gynecologist. It's like, ew. Yeah, yeah, that's a scary thought. That is true. And that's just how the system is set up. These are the people that have all the opportunity in the world to Mm -hmm. be successful people. And, and... That is a scary thought. So, again, more of this, like, good ideas, bad execution. Yes, good ideas, bad execution. Across the board. Across the board. You know, and we have, like, the character of Landon, who who kind of represents, you know, the good guys, you know, who, you know, not the not all men are bad. He's, like, obviously that, that representation. And, yes. Um... You know, which is nice to see, I guess. But like you <laughs> but, said, it's still a little too easy. Like he's too yeah, easily too easy. brainwashed, and then he's it's yeah. too easy for him to come out of it, and it, it's just a yeah, mess. Like, oh. This is a mess of a movie. Unfortunately, yeah. it's unfortunate, but it's a mess. I mean, there's not much else to say about it. I'm sure we missed important moments and characters, but I mean, did whatever. we though? <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Um, so, final thoughts. Okay, my final thoughts are going to dive a little bit deeper because I do think this movie, that's what this movie tried to do. Yeah. Okay, I think that it obviously has better ideas on where to steer this franchise than 2006 did, obviously. Yeah. But this supernatural storyline that they presented is inconsistent and absolutely ridiculous and a little all too easy. Yeah, uh, but it also doesn't make sense. Like we said, it's a long-lasting tradition. But then also, like they just discovered these powers. I think it makes good, valid points. And I think what the conversation that they did bring up, aside from maybe people thinking it's too woke, I think it was honorable what they tried to do with this story. Yeah, but giving them this film the PG-13 rating hindered it. The writing hindered it. The, everything that was bad about this movie hindered this message. And ultimately falls flat because I also think that it doesn't make up for it in any other way. It's not fun. It lacks style. Whereas the other two are very strong in their aesthetics. This one really falls yeah. flat. It's and too it, muted. It's too grounded. It it just comes across as yeah, like, like bland. The way that 1974 was such a beacon, like, like I said, it's yeah. to me, the grandmother of the modern day slasher film, these two remakes are just a huge letdown. (laughs) And I think this movie attempted to have more substance, which it does. It totally does. It has some really important ideas. It's just the execution failed this movie. It's really bad. And I would also give this um, two turtle doves. (laughs) Wow. All right. Yeah. Like for me, I, I, I love the idea of this to like flip a genre which has like been so riddled with like the male gaze forever i mean yeah i mean post black christmas and you know once we get into the 80s especially like and although it does has produced a lot of strong strong female characters those there's like a handful of those mm-hmm. and then the rest have been 
I think treated probably not great. You know, yeah. sexualized, violent, the violence and everything like the punishment. That is uh, something that is that is worthy of being addressed in the year 2019. You know, or 20 whenever wherever yeah. we are now. You know, and so I think it, it's honorable that this movie do, did try to take that on. I appreciate the effort. Do I think they executed it well? Absolutely not. No, you know, like you said, there's too much wrong in this movie that distracts from the overall message. But you know, I don't know. Like, there's something about it that like I can kind of get on board with, and I, I'm here for. And I'm like, yes, okay, this is this is a cool conversation to have. But I think that there just could have been a better way to to portray it, to write it. Um, and so ultimately it's just not successful to me unfortunately yeah but um there are good things and there are bad things so for me i'm actually gonna give it three french hens (laughs) (laughs) sure you know and i do think that this movie does deserve that um it's just there's substance but no style yeah. and 2006 yeah. is all style no substance no substance yeah. and 1974 is just a beautiful per- balance of the, yeah of, of both the, of absolutely both. there was a youtube direct sequel to the original a youtube short you know like a a short film yeah. that someone made then released on youtube that a lot of horror fans went crazy over like they really liked it and they thought it fell in line with the style of the original 1974 movie it's called it's me billy i haven't watched it yet it's like 45 minutes so it has oh, some shit. some meat to it and I'm, I'm interested to see it because i know a lot of people did like it so maybe that will revitalize the interest in that original storyline if this movie ever i mean if this franchise ever has a uh Future, future it probably will be a direct sequel to the original movie yeah for sure i think that's what it needs what two songs did you pick for 2019 i picked uh so the first one i picked was christmas isn't canceled just you which is a brand new kelly clarkson song <laughs> which um i thought the sort of cancel culture that that translated to like the modern take on you know not necessarily cancel culture but kind of in a way I mean, if we cancel men you know so i thought that was kind of clever yeah and then i picked um oh bow by sam sparrow which um which i was like man i wish this song was sung by a woman because i thought it'd be perfect but the lyrics and the song bow he's like i won't bow never to you never to no man i won't bow like which is something that they literally say in this movie when he's like i want you to bow and he's like so i was like oh okay bow love yeah. it that's nice i yeah. picked um carol of the bells <laughs> but <laughs> this one is by ash nico and i just thought that it being so modern and with ash nico kind of being like you know one of the up and comers yeah. of this gen z generation I-, I think it went well with that i do like her version of it it's kind of spooky you know and the <laughs> cover's cool her I thought it went, yeah, her, Ashnika. Um, so I thought that went well. And um, the last one I picked was Survivor by Destiny's Child. And I mean, <laughs> it's obvious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give up. So I, I guess it. I that it. does it for our triple feature. Woo. That was, I hope you're still with us. I hope you made it through. <laughs> and um, <laughs> did you survive the night? I, we d- I did. I survived this black Christmas. This um, week, Black Christmas Eve, yes, yes, yes. This Black Christmas Eve. I will say, I probably w- I'm gonna go put on the original again because why not? 
It gets me in the holiday spirit. Yeah, well, I hope everyone's having a very Merry Christmas Eve with friends and family. You know, the COVID rules are a little more lenient this year, so hopefully yeah. you're able to travel and yes. see your But don't family. be getting that Omicron. Don't be don't, her. don't be bringing that Omicron back over here, bitch. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. No. Yeah. <laughs> Please follow us on Instagram, at Fear the Talking Queers, um, where you can wish us a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, because we yeah. will do the same. Yes. Goodies for Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we'll reunite on New Year's Eve where we will be doing Scream 4. Yes. I Wow. What a joy. This is what people have been waiting for. We've done the first three and they're our most successful episodes. Yes. So you guys better turn up and turn out for Scream 4. Yes. And it'll also be our season finale. So even more to celebrate. Oh, yeah. That's right. I can't believe we're already at the end of season three. Isn't that nuts? Oh, I my know. gosh. We'll go, we'll, we'll go all into it, I'm sure, um, yes. on the next episode. So until then. Sweet screams, bitch. Bye.